banter eh, that's nah. uh yeah, you're back quick yelling to the mic yes uh, do that um it's uh <laughs> and as you might have guessed those at low life podcast because you hit the button a moment ago and i am coin ops mcgillicuddy here with scum and shadow link hey hey hi and we have a very 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 special guest today this is fantastic um uh, shadow link Get us into this. What's going yeah. on here? Yeah. Well, first of all, I guess uh, I'd like you to uh, introduce yourself. Tell, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Jennifer Shatskan. Uh, I'm a licensed therapist, uh, clinical social worker. I've had 18 years of, of experience providing therapy uh, in the mental health and addiction fields. Um, I was in the army and also a DOD civilian for a while. So I did some, some work with soldiers. I uh, was yeah. also married to uh, a soldier who's uh, retired after 28 years of active duty service, meaning we moved a lot and yeah. I've been licensed yeah. and practiced mm. in uh, six different States. So I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, work in many different areas of, of mental health and uh, with many different populations. So a couple years ago, my husband retired and we uh, set roots and I opened my private practice and specialize in, in the treatment of anxiety disorders and OCD. And that includes uh, social anxiety, phobias, uh, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, everything that falls under that anxiety umbrella. And then secondary specialty, treating anxiety in adults with neurodifferences, uh, ADHD and autism. Nice. Dope, nice. That is yeah. my wheelhouse. Yeah, I was so, going to say that. That's the perfect <laughs> podcast to be on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so explain to us, like, uh, how, how do you go about treating it? Like, what kind of treatments do you uh, use on, on your patients? So um, I think before, before I get into the treatment part, just to kind of do a, a cap about what an anxiety disorder is versus anxiety, uh, yes. because anxiety, anxiety and fear are natural basic yeah. emotions. Um, yes. and Boy, I argue, know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I argue that they're actually the most important, uh, emotions that we have. In fact, yeah. out of our four <laughs> core emotions, only one of them is, is, is pleasure. We have a lot of quote negative emotions, but these are the emotions that, um, help us evolve as a species, stay safe, propel us to action, be creative. Um, so anxiety and fear uh, as a base, base emotions are actually really necessary and important for us. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, in the context of like prehistoric humans, you know, like you're you're not gonna 
stay alive if you're relaxed all the time. You got you, right. yeah. you need a little bit of anxiety to make sure that you know the uh, the the saber tooth tigers don't catch you. <laughs> That's why exactly. this, pod, this podcast exists out of spite. So yes, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And and even even in in modern society, right? Anxiety uh, can propel us to action if we're not paralyzed by it. You know, if you're anxious about a test yeah. and you're in school, that's good mm-hmm. because then you prepare oh, boy, for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so anxiety by itself isn't a bad thing. Uh, people with anxiety disorders uh, oftentimes have a highly sensitive nervous system. Either maybe they're just born with that, or maybe they've had different experiences in their life that have hmm. created a sensory system that's yeah. uh, pretty sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also have a very low tolerance for the physical sensations of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So regardless of of any of those disorders I named, they have one thing in common, and and I've treated many people with all these disorders, is I don't like the way I feel when I'm anxious. I don't like what Mm -hmm. my body does. And so there's a lot of behaviors that people with anxiety disorders do to avoid Avoid any situations, objects, triggers that that might bring on those sensations. So it's Mm -hmm. a very low tolerance for that discomfort. Um, They also spend a lot of time in the future with the what if thought. So what if all this bad stuff happens so I can avoid that from happening so I can avoid that sensation of anxiety uh, and and fear. Um, And then there's also that low tolerance for uncertainty and not knowing. Uh, So so that kind of encapsulates what anxiety is and it gets maintained because of avoidance. Mm. Yeah, yeah that's that makes that makes yeah. a lot of sense. That's, yeah, that's I mean, tough, in, though, in like, my own context, fear of, fear <laughs> of like the unknown, right? Like just oh man, we'll we'll get into it. <clears throat> but it's almost like our society is almost built to foster that. Yeah, right, right. A lot like, of a lot of marketing is is uh, based around fear. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Fear of oh my god, out. we have a we have yeah. I was gonna say we have a cute fucking term for it. It's like oh, fear of missing out and like FOMO. We make games <laughs> miss around me with it. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a pre-ordering anything is about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that pre-ordering any yeah. service or product is about that. It's like well, you don't. I mean, but think about insurance too. Insurance is all fear-based. Uh, yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't. They don't try to package it as fear, but they're no, like, oh no, they have a nice just, soft. You just want to make shot. sure that you. We just want to make sure that you're safe. We're looking out for you. You know, right? Until you try to collect on that shit. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they package it as as being prepared, but yeah. that's what the what if thoughts are, right? So we want mm-hmm. to have all the possibilities of all the the bad things that can go wrong, and you better be prepared for it all. And and even with um. Even with with pop culture, it's it's like you said, the fear of missing out or the fear of not being socially accepted. And, and that's yeah. a core fear for us because we, you know, we, we were tribal. Well, we're, yeah, right? social we're tribal animals. people. We're mm-hmm. social. We're tribal. We, we depend on on each other. And um, way back when we had only tribes of, you know, 50 or so people, you, you needed to conform. You needed to. Uh, be accepted and liked. Otherwise, you would be out there fending for yourself. So there is a little bit of that that's that's core to us as well. The problem is, is our brains really have not evolved much in oh, about 100,000 years, but our society has. So we mm-hmm. still have yeah. some of these really basic primitive uh, emotions and responses mm-hmm. that don't always serve us well, you know, in the modern society. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Well, I, there was that, oh God, there was that story on around a little while ago about how, like what, what the uncanny Valley is like, <laughs> how, yeah, how yeah, deep yeah. it goes. Like, yeah. why do we, why are we the only creature that sees something that's just a little bit off? And then we're like, nah, no, I don't think so. It's good. And yeah. well, no, it wasn't even that. I mean, yeah, that's, that was the fun answer, but like the more <laughs> realistic answer was, you know, we weren't the only bipedal hairless, you know, yeah. descended monkeys weren't at there the time. Something yeah. like, uh, there were crow magma like there was like or so there were a uh, few species yeah right. there were a few they different species they looked kind of like us but then yeah. we went and killed them we ate them <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Right>. <laughs> they obviously didn't have enough anxiety to avoid being killed no, yeah. they, were, no, no. <laughs> they were probably living <laughs> the good life right yeah they were like oh these guys look like us yeah come on come on over to our fire you know <laughs> no. yeah, check this out hey we oh, chew on these uh sludge club you got there what, what what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that, buddy? What are you what what? We have a hard time not killing each other. Imagine what yeah. we did to our we did to our subspecies. It's like, nah, man, chew on these leaves, thunk. You know, it's <laughs> it's not gonna work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh. and, and and when we're talking about fear and anxiety, a lot of people use them interchangeably. Um, mm-hmm. Where I use it clinically is is fear is is that reaction, that fight or flight reaction uh, that we get when we are in in the immediate danger and an immediate threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Fight or flight kind of boils it down a little little bit though, right? Because there are also a bunch of different uh, ways that a person can react to fear. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, and, and fear itself, well, we have fight, flight or, or freeze too, right? So yeah, some people yeah. can, can freeze and, and dissociate. And actually what's happening there is your nervous system is shutting down. So you don't feel the bear eating what's you. What's coming. Yeah. You yeah. don't feel it. But, um, but fear itself is a very right now I'm in danger. And there's a lot of things going on biologically inside your body. In that moment, you hyperventilate. So you can get a lot more oxygen to your blood and your metabolism changes, your eyes dilate, you are preparing yourself to fight or to flee. This is why you Mm. read stories of of people being able to like lift a burning car or things like that. And and it's a burst. It's a burst of extreme energy to save your life in in that moment. And it lasts Mm. only about 10 to 15 minutes. And then the parasympathetic nervous system comes in and, you know, calms everything back down. And, Mm. And so that's fear. Fear is what keeps us alive in the face of an immediate danger. Anxiety is on a time continuum. Anxiety is the anticipation, anticipation of fear. Uh, so anxiety is saying like, oh, well, this thing could happen. And so you might not be in a full panic mode, but you're a little on edge and you're hyper vigilant to make sure this thing doesn't happen. Yeah. And so people who have anxiety disorders spend a lot of time in that hyper vigilant state thinking that it will better prepare them should something go wrong. Um, hmm. and, and it doesn't. But <laughs> that's basically, you know. When, when we're talking about conceptualizing anxiety and fear, that's what they are. They're, it's a time continuum and it's there to serve us a purpose. Uh, with anxiety disorders, that alarm might go off more frequently uh, than it needs to. It might be like uh, the fire alarm that goes off every night when I cook dinner. My, my family doesn't even respond to it anymore. And I think, oh, gosh, I hope we never really have a fire because everyone will die in this house because nobody responds to the fire alarm. <laughs> yeah, They're desensitized yeah. to it. 
but somebody with anxiety would would hear the fire alarm and and run out the house and do the full fire drill every time saying well maybe this is the time that the fire comes yeah Mm. Yeah. so it's the opposite of crying wolf pretty much you're literally like (laughs) buying the apocalypse every time you imagine it (laughs) right right and and people with anxiety uh, oftentimes or anxiety disorders have uh, very vivid uh, images and very uh, vivid thoughts and it can create this this sensation so even having the thought of something happen can create the same sensation as if it were happening oh yeah buddy i can confirm (laughs) yeah that's uh hmm that well that kind of Let's put a pin on that for now. Uh, so, so <laughs> when this becomes a problem, when this becomes, when this inter- starts to interfere with a person's life, uh, can you give us like a sort of example of how you might treat this kind of anxiety? Sure. So people usually will, will come into therapy after years of, of dealing with the, the avoidance of mm. the sensations or triggers. And sometimes their, their, you know, life can become smaller and smaller. Their world becomes smaller as they're trying to avoid all the things that might cause the sensation. So the um, gold standard evidence-based treatment for anxiety is exposure therapy. We can do cognitive work and, and other things on the side, but it's exposure therapy. And that means exposing you to the thing that you're fearing. Yeah. Um, to the triggers, to the cues, to the sensations, um, so you stop avoiding. Yeah, and it, because and it's it not really, people. it's not about making the fear go away. It's making people realize that the fear, well, that the the thing that's going to cause you that anxiety is always going to be there. So it's essentially trying to desensitize them against that. Correct. Um, in, in a sense, and we don't really use the word desensitize anymore because we don't want people to be desensitized to things right. that they should be fearful of. Right, um, right. Yeah. What, what we want to do is help people tolerate the sensation of anxiety because that's what most people with anxiety disorders really fear. When you, when you break it down, they really fear the sensation. Um, mm, if, if somebody yeah. has a fear of flying and there could be many different reasons why somebody fears flying. But if I break it all the way down to a core fear, nine times out of 10, the core fear is not the plane crashing and and I die. It's the intense fear I have when I know I'm going to die or I know I'm going to crash and I don't think I'll be able to handle that horrific fear. So it's fearing the fear that Mm -hmm. most people have. So so, in that kind kind of situation, then uh, would you... Well, how would you go about treating that in like a conventional manner? So, it, again, it, it all comes with the exposure therapy is we're going to expose to the situations or the objects or the triggers or sometimes the internal triggers, right? Mm-hmm. Those internal situations um, that that cause that feeling. And so we do it in different ways. We have in vivo exposure therapy, uh, which means, you know, uh, in real life. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we would... Um, we might do something, you know, if somebody has a fear of snakes and it would be graduated, but eventually maybe um, they can be around a snake. Maybe they could even touch a snake or handle a snake, right? That would be in vivo or live exposure. Yeah. Uh, 
we also have imaginal exposures, and that would be, you know, vividly imagining uh, the feared object or situation. Mm. A lot of times we use imaginals for, um, particularly with OCD, because OCD comes with very distressing, intrusive thoughts um, that people are often shamed about. Um, oh, don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> it could be, it could be um, harm, like harming yep. other people, harming yep. self, sometimes even mm-hmm. um, sexual or, or kind of existential type thoughts and images that are very distressing. And so we would do imaginal exposures where we actually even imagine that thing happening. So I have, I've had people who have suicidal obsessions, which are different than suicidal ideation. They mm. are actually very distressed by the images or the thought that they have. And then they wonder, am I really suicidal? Mm. And so mm. part of what we might do is in an imaginal exposure is, is go through a, a script. We write it, we write a script uh, as if it's a movie and they actually read it out loud and imagine it as if it were happening. And they do this over and over and over again until they become habituated to the thought, not to the thing. So if we're, if we are imagining um, doing a suicide act, we are not habituating to the act of suicide. We're habituating to the thought that we're having. It's like a scary movie. If, um, and I, and I love horror movies, but if you think of, yeah. Like, 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 what's 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 the scariest movie you've ever seen? Hmm. Honestly, the only one I've never been able to finish is The Fly. It's when Gina oh. Davis has the baby, oh. the Cronenberg Fly. I can't do it. The baby <laughs> maggot. It's oh. like three feet long and so slimy, oh, and it just gets in my head. I've never seen the end of that movie. I honestly, really? I've, I've given it oh. ten attempts, and I, every time I'm just like, nope, uh, uh, gotta go. Uh, and it's the now, only one that- though. Is that fear or, or is that disgust? Because disgust is a core emotion too, right? I, I yeah. think it's yeah. got to be, we're talking like it goes up to 11. Yeah. Okay. I, I, that's that's what's what? happening. And that one particular, I've seen movies like The Lost Boys, that whole scene with the rice and it looks like maggots. That doesn't bother me at all. Uh, this b- amazing practical three foot, you know, animatronic that's moving like a living thing and it just could not handle it. I still can't handle it. It's a, it's, it's one of the best props I've ever seen in a movie. That's yeah. all so, I can say. <laughs> so if, if you were to go back and to watch the fly, if, if you were to come into therapy with me and I were to say like, okay, let's watch the fly over and over again, probably about the 40th time you've seen it. Not that you would ever be okay with it, but it wouldn't be as disturbing or as scary as that first time because you would have habituated to it you know, that, again and again. That makes sense because mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw Aliens and the whole bit at the end where Bishop gets ripped in half fucked me up. Like that, that wasn't, mm-hmm. that scared the hell out of me. That's like scarier than anything else in that movie. That was the scariest moment. Yeah. And um, so as, as a point of course, like as, as like a 12, 13 year old, we watched that on VHS in the basement nine times in a row until it just didn't bother us anymore. So like, yeah, See, no, you've I done an exposure. Movie. You did an exposure on yourself. Didn't even realize it. It was just that amount of high C and Coca Cola, like just hell to do it. <laughs> we could do now, this, guys. You know. But if that were to happen in real life, it's it would still be scary, though, right? Oh God, yes. Oh my God, yes. If a, if, a, if a giant like nineteen foot queen alien shoved her tail <laughs> through an android in front of me and ripped him in half, I'd have a reaction. It'd probably flight. Yeah, I mean, well, odds <laughs> are. I can attest. Like I've I've been playing. I've actually been playing Alien Isolation uh, recently, and <laughs> or, yeah, 
very recently. <laughs> and man, I mean, it's not like bone chillingly terrifying to me, but it is definitely intense at moments when, mm-hmm. you know, you have to make your way past this 20 foot long xenomorph that's, you know, stalking the halls and, yeah. uh, and yeah. you know, you you make one, you make the wrong sound and it knows you're there instantly. You can hear it running after you. Oh, man. I, I Very well I find it interesting about um, when, you were, when you were saying it isn't the matter of, like, getting rid of the fear. Because it's, like, because fear is important. It's the idea of, like, trying to, like, and not even become, like, a nerd to it. But just the idea of, like, where it doesn't bother you to the same extent or it doesn't give you the, the fear of fear, like you said. And I, I find that mm-hmm. fascinating. So it's, like... You know, like uh, coin ops with your fear of, you know, how you basically gave yourself immersion therapy. Like, yeah. you're still afraid of the thing, but, you know. It, it, yeah, I still I still get a little thrill when I watch the movie these days, but it ain't like yeah. it was back in the day where I, I couldn't. Yeah, know, but I, thing, I find that fascinating, though. Like, the thing did that, too, with the blood test. It freaked the hell out of me. As sure. A kid, you know, but I love that now. Oh, you yeah, know what I mean? I love that movie. <laughs> so recently, it's great. still, it holds up. Go watch oh, The Thing. Been- Invasion oh. of the Body Snatchers. Oh, oh. that's a, oh. that disturbing. The, the Donald Sutherland one. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, pitch perfect. Excellent. Just, just man. The uh, best remake ever. Yeah. Or it follows. Like the first time I watched it in theaters. Oh man, I was, I was on my ed- on the edge of my seat the entire time. Just like, just, yeah, just I did not know <laughs> oh, yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's I, I the like type, that's the type yeah. of movie that that's the type of movie that will follow you after you're done watching it. When you yes. think oh, about yeah. it, you're still scared. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. Because it's a very existential fear, and existential fear is is what fucks me up. Honestly, you know, we, you know, we covered like video drum before with yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of like sense of like crumbling reality. Yes. And yeah, it's and, you know we're overdrawn about like horror movies. So what do you? <sighs> Like why is you know it's October so why why is fear fun but anxiety isn't you know like well, we all, we all love horror movies you know okay so so and, and I'm a big horror movie fan and I love haunted houses and and I love all that stuff part of yeah. it is uh, it's the same part of our nervous system that um, triggers panic and fear that that also triggers exhilaration and excitement. It's, it's, it's the same, it's the same system. It's the same neurotransmitters. It's, it, you get your heart is that, racing. Is that the, uh, the amygdala? Um, that's, that's a part of it. Yeah. It's, it's actually the all works together. I don't want to yeah. bore you with a biology lesson, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's all that really kind of basic primitive part of our brain. And, yeah. and that's why a lot of people who have like panic disorder, uh, don't, tolerate like exercising really well they they don't even like having like fun i've I've heard some of them say oh i went to this thing and i have but then i had a panic attack but was it a panic attack or was i excited because it can feel very similar and so i want to get your heart rate up you know (laughs) so so when we're talking about um you know, Halloween and fear. It's, it's exciting because we can, we can be scared, but we also know we're safe. Yeah. 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 At the same time. So, so there's a little, you know, there's a little security blanket where it's like, we can, we can tiptoe over line. That's also why we like, you know, a lot of us like violent movies. It's like, it's exciting. It's thrilling. But if we were to actually see 
you know, that kind of carnage or, or violence in, in real life. It would most be of traumatizing. Us, yeah, most oh, yeah. of us would be traumatized and recoil from it. But oh, we're yeah. able to, to play games and we're able to watch movies because we know, because we're telling ourselves, this isn't really happening. I can get a little bit of sensation as if it were, but I also know that I'm safe. Mm -hmm. There's like a partition up. Yeah. Right. You know, especially yeah, if it's always... on a, like, well, if you're, if you're, if it's passive, especially like if you're watching a film, it's always a lot easier for me to yeah. differentiate between like, even these ones that are purported to come out and be like, uh, this was actual found footage kind of crap. Like, it, <laughs> I mean, you're still, <laughs> you're still watching a screen. You're not there. You yeah, know, right. you're not that's there. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. It's not, it's right. a portal like to a, a video, not a window <laughs> to like, Right. something jacked up happening outside you know your house at the but moment. uh on and, that and topic to uh well well actually go ahead uh well well i was gonna bring that back to the imaginal exposure because and, and that's hmm. why this works pretty well with people with anxiety disorders um because they already have a very active imagination so some people say well how can you do an imaginal because when people say well you know this is just a script and i'm just thinking about it and it's not really real so it's not going to bring on the same sensations and the argument is people with anxiety disorders and ocd um already have that vivid imagination and they already have the sensations as if it's happening anyway. So it actually works really oh, well can, for them. I can mm. attest that, you know, I, uh, my sense of reality has broken down before through anxiety. So, uh, mm. yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's definitely a thing. I'm sure. I've um, gotten some very interesting messages from you in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but, yes. But that's but that's the goal of, of 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 any type of exposure, right? In vivo, imaginal exposure, and I'll get on to the other two here in a minute. But but the exposures are we're going to do them over and over again. In the past, the treatment used to consist of we're going to repeatedly expose you to this until you habituate, until you you know no longer are very anxious about it. And we've shifted in the past several years to, to something else called the inhibitory learning model, which, which basically says the goal is not to say, I don't have fear. I don't have anxiety in this situation. It's saying right. I do have it, but I can also tolerate it because all the behaviors that I were, do that I was doing that was not really effective was to avoid that sensation. So so I'm going to expose myself to this and maybe I feel anxious, but I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to do any type of rituals and I'm just going to let this sensation be here. And then the less that you resist it, it actually starts to dissipate on its own. The more we try to resist the sensations and anxiety, the stronger it gets. Like the mm. Babadook. I always use that yeah. as, as the, the Babadook. <laughs> right. She spins the whole she spends the whole movie trying to fight this 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 monster in her house, and knows the more she tries to fight it and tried to deny it, the bigger it got. And what right. happened in the yeah. end of that movie? Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it: is she finally accepts that this thing is here? It's in the house. I'm just going to kind of put it in the basement and and sometimes go down there and feed it. And right. it's a great analogy. It's such a great ending. Yeah. That movie was oh, I terrifying. love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> But, but the, yeah, but the monster became smaller and she was able to basically have control of it once she accepted that it was there and she quit trying to deny it and quit trying to kill it. And that's, that's fear and that's anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love allegorical horror movies like that. I, that's, uh, that's where I get 
pleasure from watching horror movies most of the time is uh a lot of them don't scare me or if they do they really fuck me up um but i a movie like the babadook is interesting or us us is Mm -hmm. also a very interesting movie Mm -hmm. because you can see the what kind of fears are meant to be represented by the monsters of these movies um hereditary yeah yeah you know like that that one got me uh annihilation Annihilation, yeah, Annihilation, very much. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I love those books, though. I do. Like, <laughs> they're God, so good. I don't, I don't know. Like, I that that one feels beautiful but incomplete to me. You know what I mean? Um, but no, like Hereditary in in especially Midsummer, uh, what Ari Aster's doing with his like slow burns, those are so. I love those kind of films. The Changeling yeah. with George C. Scott back in the day, where he was like the professor. <gasps> That the ball coming down the stairs that terrified oh, me when I was eight years old. I saw that, but I watched that movie again and again and again, and I still oh, get a, scared yes. on that part. But but it's exhilarating. Oh, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, it's, actually, it's such an unsung like masterpiece of a horror film. It's so quiet and boring. You know, he drives. He drives all the way out there, and he throws the ball out in the river, and he comes home, and he opens the door, and it just, just wet, and it comes down the stairs, and I'm. I just oh, remember it, it was one you. of the first one of the first horror movies I ever saw, and I was just mesmerized. <laughs> oh, it shakes you! It's such a simple little thing, and it shakes you. It's like that's what you do, you know. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. anyway, I'm sorry. We we're gonna keep doing this horror yeah. movie so thing. Anyways, I think, for this whole conversation. But but that but that's what we're talking about when, we, when no, we're right. talking about exposures, right? It's because really that's what's happening with anxiety is it's a horror movie that you're playing in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what yeah. it yeah. is. That's and and so then true. you're trying to avoid it. Instead of watching it and kind of accepting it, it's, it's like, oh, I'm going to avoid it and anything related to it because it's creating the sensation. And then the, it's going to get stronger. So, yeah. so exposure allows us to um, delve into those you know situation and fears. And sometimes we can do it through flooding. We can jump in the deep end. Some people are ready for that. Some people aren't and we might gradually go up there like a a fear of snakes we might start with even saying the word snake or looking at pictures and we kind of gradually go there we're not just going to pull out a snake and 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 hand it to them yeah yeah um so you know but i have been known to like that next door app i've gotten on there does anybody have a snake i can borrow I i tried I tried to catch one for an exposure. I just need it for one day. So yeah, oh, I'm always man. I'm always looking for weird stuff for exposures. See, it's um, posts like that uh, are the only reason I stay on Nextdoor because the rest of it's just like uh, yeah, it's like the, it's like the like, third worst web or like app in the world. That's the only reason I'm on there is to get is to get objects for Snakes. exposure. Snakes. Or, <laughs> I, I did. I did catch a ground. I did. This is an aside. I did catch a groundhog uh, last year in a in a cage to kind of help use for an exposure on, on a fear of rabies. The groundhog did not have rabies, but this person did not want to be around groundhog. So then I had this groundhog in a cage, and, and we kind of you know started with like just the pictures of it. Didn't have the groundhog very long. Um, yeah. They do like they do like mangoes. I learned, but um, oh. Oh, I have that in common with them. The, the, <laughs> yeah. idea, the idea, of course, wasn't to like touch or, or to pet it. It was just to kind of say, oh, we can be within six feet of it and we're you know, mm-hmm. not going to get sick. And then after I was done, I was like, well, I'm just going to let it go. And then I learned that Pennsylvania actually uh, has a law that you cannot capture and release a groundhog elsewhere. It's illegal. 
and then I didn't know what to do with it. But you, it is legal to kill it. And I'm like, I can't kill this thing. So I, mm. I called this guy named Pete and he came and took it. He told me to a, a groundhog farm to live happily ever after. So I'm <laughs> sticking with that story. I don't know. Right. Sure that's what happened. Yeah. But, it's always a guy named Pete. <laughs> <laughs> but but coming but coming back to the exposures, again, the goal is is to say we're gonna repeat this over and over and over again. So yeah. an imaginal mm-hmm. exposure, we're gonna have the script and we're gonna go through it again and again and again until you aren't as either as anxious hearing it or you can tolerate the anxiety because what what they start to learn is what I'm really fearing is my own sensations and my own thoughts. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Gross. It would be scary if that thing really happened. But with most anxiety, I mean, most anxiety is the fear of something bad happening. And most of the time, those bad things don't happen. Oh, that's it, like Lovecraftian, though. Like, the, it's the fear of the unknown, right? It's the fear of yeah. like, it's, it's not the fear of doing the thing. It's the fear of how you're going to feel when you're doing the thing. Like, yeah. that's right. like cerebral. No, was that Eisenhower, the, the fear itself speech? Or was that sure. Truman? Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, God. There's nothing to fear <laughs> but fear itself. It's What's in the freaking <laughs> Living Color song. Who said it? Oh, my God. Presidents. Yeah. Something, something. Shuffle them up. Who knows? Um, well, unless you're yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, in which case you don't fear anything, even fucking fear. So, yeah, man. I don't know if anybody watched that movie, but. Nope. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I assume it was the, the beard era where he was going on talk shows and acting yeah, a fool. Being yeah. a rapper. <laughs> oh, I didn't, God, that was I didn't follow that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, he was much better in Joker. I, I like yeah. that more right. yeah anyway i, I still anyway, have a grudge against right. him for you know gladiator i didn't like him he was a bad guy <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. on the topic of uh of you know people with anxiety or disorders and uh it's essentially being able to immerse themselves in these imaginal uh um this imaginal therapy um so you more recently have uh, learned how to uh, incorporate VR in your practice. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Like yeah. What, 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 before that, like what, what, when did you look at VR and, and think it was cool? Yeah. What, what, yeah, what was, <laughs> yeah, we what was so like the first moment? <laughs> yeah. Like what was your oh, first experience, you know, like. Oh gosh. I don't. I, I mean, because it's been in and out, you know, for like, what, 20, 25 years. And it, it's oh, yeah, really yeah. like kind of poor, 30, bad, 30 bad, even. bad tech, bad technology, you know, late yeah, 90s, right. you know, early, <laughs> early aughts. The kind so where, bad. you know, I, I think I tried some, some of the really big bulky ones, you know, in the mm-hmm. beginning, and it was very basic. <laughs> I think I, I want to say it was early 2000s. And wow. I would just get like a really bad headache or, or mm-hmm. vertigo. Yeah. Um, so I said, well, you guys you know. ever see that uh, that episode of Community where the dean gets the uh, the uh, lawnmower man <laughs> style uh, VR headset? <laughs> oh, he's, he's going through this this desktop and he's like, "Oh, it's the future!" Every I like he keeps saying, "Jesus wept." Worlds to conquer, and he's like going through a desktop, but he's like running like one of the, the people from in Prometheus from that giant spaceship that's trying to fall on him. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and you watch this and you're like, 
this is so unbelievably inefficient. Like this is not this is not cyberspace as mm. as we'd hope it would be. Well, it's like but, we watched the um, cyberpunk documentary, and it's just people. Yeah. They, they're showing clips of like people basically with like iron boxes strapped to their heads. Yeah, and <laughs> it's like yeah, no, that looks extremely uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're gonna yeah. There is no way that you would uh like be able to forget that you're wearing a headset unless you like were maybe in a like a VR a simulation of yeah, like, like being a knight or something. Yeah, like early two like like the booth. And and they weren't they weren't very um you, you couldn't find them a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But there would be those big booths and yeah, very, very heavy. Um mm-hmm. and and I wasn't really um you know into it or very involved with it uh mm-hmm. at the time. But it was probably about I want to say it was around six, seven years ago where uh, I was at a training um, and the Department of Defense deployment psychology team was also uh, at this training. And uh, I was talking to some psychologists and they uh, discussed uh, using virtual reality, a system called Brave Mind um, that they that was that was born out of the you know University of Southern California around 2005 um, in the studies so that they were using those with soldiers with PTSD and veterans with PTSD. And, and they had recreated environments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, again, we're not going to recreate the actual trauma because if you're getting shot sure. at, right, we're, yeah. we're going to feel fear. Yeah. What, what they're recreating is, you know, are the sounds. Um, and they even put them in a booth and they could uh, do the smell portion as well, but the sounds, uh, the vibrations, um, the sites. So a lot of uh, the sites uh, like Fallujah and, and other places where there were uh, pretty big battles that they were able yeah. to just recreate those areas and maybe explosions in the background, but to have them be able to, you know, immerse themselves because that's a part of exposure treatment for even PTSD. We're not going to expose you to the thing that caused your trauma. We're going to expose you to cues that keep the trauma going. So um, yeah. it could be, Again, any any type of color or sights or sounds or smells, because then when somebody is exposed to those in an environment that's not dangerous, they're going to have that same um, fight or flight reaction, that same panic reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they mm-hmm. and, and they had been doing some work, you know, earlier on, you know, with PTSD. I mean, we've been trying to treat soldiers with PTSD since since Vietnam, um, yeah, very yeah. poorly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. imaginal exposure is a lot hard. It, it works really well for people with OCD. It does not work very well uh, for people with PTSD because people with PTSD uh, even try to avoid triggers and, and situations even more so. So if you're doing an imaginal exposure with somebody with PTSD, they'll sometimes go through the script, but they've already disconnected themselves. They've already dissociated from the story and they're not immersing in the story yeah. because okay. that's how they survive, right? That's yeah. how they survive yeah. the trauma. So the virtual reality um, was an opportunity for them to immerse in, in in the environment in a way where they wouldn't be able to kind of block that out. And yes, it would, it brings on some intense emotions initially, but, but that's what treatment for PTSD is, is everybody who experiences a traumatic event will have what we call an acute stress response, which is all those symptoms that you see with PTSD. PTSD only develops when we don't naturally recover from those. So post traumatic. Yeah. 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 You're taking that home, you know, like it's, 
Let, let me ask the the scenarios, like the VR scenarios. When you talk about putting them, like okay, so you say it's like Fallujah. Is it during a battle, or is it just the sights and the sounds of a day walking through the town? Would that be like the scenario, or would it be actual battle going on around, but in a distance or behind the buildings or something? For for PTSD specifically, for them, um, some some of the scenes would be just benign scenes, and sometimes okay. there would be you know some battle scenes around, not kind of directly in, because that's also part of what part of the background. Yeah. Part of what we try to to process with people with PTSD. Um, is is really a lot of their thoughts and feelings about the event itself because they, mm-hmm. they try to block that out. So if that means that I feel intense fear or sadness or anger, whatever it is I feel, I need to process that emotion and I need to process the thoughts because that's how you recover from it. Because mm-hmm. 85% of people who experience a, a traumatic event don't develop PTSD. They have the acute stress response and then you know, over, over a period of, of a few weeks or a couple months, they recover from it. Their, their brain processes it and recovers. In fact, all animals do this. If, if you have a zebra who's been chased by a lion and, and has been bitten on the back, but he gets away, he's going to have a biological stress response and will probably dream about that and think about that and be a little hypervigilant uh, for a little bit until that sense of safety comes back because we, mm-hmm. we develop a fear response very quickly. Just with one situation, we develop a fear response. It takes, you know, at least 15 or 20 res- responses, um, where we're safe to develop a safety response. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's been hard for a lot of people to, to even, um, you know, think of with, with COVID initially, and, and I think it depends on where you are, but for some people, you know, it's, it's a fear response. Here's something that's new and different, and we don't know anything about it. And mm-hmm. it was it was very quick for some people to put the mask on. And then here in the spring, when we say, okay, you're vaccinated, you can take the mask off. It's very hard for some people to do that because yep. got yep. a fear response quickly, yep. but the yep. safety response isn't there because I don't trust that it's totally safe yet. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah, you know, I mean, sense. it. it I, just the fear response to this giant existential, you know, global plague going on, I think, is going to be messing with people in ways that we haven't even begun to see yet. Yeah, like oh, yeah. it's it's been like a year and ten months or something, and it, it, I know I can hear the rats scratching around the inside of my skull. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm a bit of a homebody. I like to stay home. I don't like to go out in general. And then this plague hits and I just never left the basement for like a year. Basically, yeah. Like I was going for like stir because I'm not the same way. I like going out and doing things. And like now it's like I'm going stir crazy where I'm like, now we have like, you know, we've got some missions now. And I'm like, I need to go to the library and just keep a mask Mm. on my face because I can't do this anymore. (laughs) You know, I can't work at home. So like I got to go somewhere and work on some stuff because I got stuff to work on now. But it's like, you know, uh, I don't think we're masks are going to go away anytime soon. Like, I've never not worn a mask. And largely, mm-hmm. like you said, like, that's the fear response, but also trying to be responsible. And, and, right. and more, more to the, you know, the reality of the situation, who doesn't want to look like a ninja? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what the when hell? This started, when this started, I was like, the Japanese had it right the entire time. The cyber goths had it right the entire time. <laughs> the whole time. They are tired vindicated in this moment. <laughs> it's a shame it took a fucking pandemic yeah, to do it. But... Yeah. Shout out to <laughs> cyber goths. But, 
but this is also what I say is when you have a fear response, when there's an actual threat, then you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so with the, uh, the virtual reality technology that essentially creates a, uh, a, a nice middle ground for you then between, um, imaginal exposure and in vivo exposure, correct? Correct. Yep. And, and we're able to, to do things, you know, that we wouldn't be able to do as easily in vivo, uh, yeah. take fear, fear of flying. Like I have, um, a platform with an environment where, uh, you know, we can fly. I have different environments. It starts with, we're just in a taxi going to the airport. And I've had some people stay in that environment for a long time before we can graduate to the next one, you know, <laughs> wow. where we're, where we're at, at the terminal and then we're walking down to board the plane and then there's the takeoff. So there's, you know, it, it's this graduated uh, process, but we're able to do that in virtual reality. Um, not, it's not really feasible to go on a flight with yeah, somebody and be in stuck in a yeah, <laughs> be stuck right. in someone's uh, at the back of someone's cab for you know two uh, hours. Yeah. See, I, I don't have a right. fear of flying. I have a fear of cabs and the TSA. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just feel, like airdrop me into the airport. Yeah, right. Right. I feel that so, though because like sometimes even just going to work can be like an anxiety trip, right? Like I've had like oh yeah, you know I have irritable oh, bowels. Yeah, sure. I have irritable bowels. So going to work in Chicago on the train. Uh, sometimes you got to make a pit stop and it doesn't go, you know, <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it, like, yeah. I get it. Like trying to the build up to the thing can just rack so, your nerves. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and in this situation, you might have multiple fears going on there because before we do an exposure, we always say, you know, what's what's the core fear that somebody has? Because just because two people say that they fear the same thing doesn't mean that the core fear underneath that is the same. I've had, hmm. um, for example, two different people who've been um who've had a phobia against those brain eating amoebas, you know, the type mm-hmm. I'm talking about, like yeah, the, the, okay. pretty rare to have that happen, but you know, yeah. it happens. Um, and the, so you could say, well, these people fear the same thing. So we're just going to, you know, expose them to the same thing. But once you break it down for one person, the fear was actually related to not so much the amoeba itself or dying, but uh, they also had a severe social anxiety. And it was, if I die from this really rare, bizarre thing, it's going to make national headlines and my mm. name is going to be plastered everywhere. And that's horrifying. Oh. Yeah. That was more horrifying. I mean, yeah. literally that was more wow. horrifying than that makes sense. death itself. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, for the next person, the fear of the brain eating amoeba might be, um, I'm going to slowly lose control of my brain. And the idea of something kind of eating my brain cells yeah, uh, is really terrifying mm. and there's nothing I can do. Right. You might even right. have a third person with the, with the same fear of an amoeba and say, I am really scared of death because I don't know what's going to happen after I die. You know right. what, what's out there or who's going to take care of my cat or whatever. So on the mm. surface, it looks like the fear is the same, the amoeba, but underneath that people have very different reasons for why they fear things. So, mm. so somebody, especially with IBS or Crohn's and I've, I've treated people with, but that a lot of times it's, it's a fear of there's not going to be a bathroom when I need it. And oh, I feel that. And, and you know, and I might, yeah. I might crap, I, you know, I might yep. crap myself and we just, <laughs> we just say that we just, we just say this out loud. We say, so the imaginal exposure might be, you know, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do an imaginal where that happens, where you're and in the grocery that, yeah. store and you don't make it there. And then what? And then, and we bring it there and it does create a lot of anxiety. But then at the end of that, it's like, you know what? 
okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll be able to still survive that and, and go on. Um, what's it, isn't it the Pearl Jam uh, guitars? He has Crohn's and he, and he had talked about even having accidents on stage at times. Oh yeah. Right. Mm. So, so, so that's I've... what we, that's what we do with these, with these exposures. Now, could you do that with a VR? Um, you know, you might be able to construct an environment like that, but, mm. but the VR allows us to do um, things and construct environments and situations and triggers that um, we might not be able to do otherwise. Mm. And you can, you can also adjust the intensity of these experiences as well. Correct. Yes. Um, so if you well, have somebody, how, how would that has, work? Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's say you have somebody who has a, a fear of heights and I might have several different, um, types of environments that, that we would, uh, choose. So maybe we have, um, you know, going on a, a glass elevator up the side of, of the empire state building. I know that there's not really a glass elevator there, but we're, but we pretend that there is in this VR and we mm. might, um, only go to the third floor at first mm. and, and while there, while people are in the VR, I, there's, there's a, um, I can, I can type because I've got on my computer screen, I can see everything that they're seeing inside the VR. And so I can manage it from where I am and I can type, you know, I, I can type, you know, what's your anxiety level zero to 10 and, and all they have to do is, you know, look and, and there will be this, this number line that comes above mm -hmm. them and they just say seven. So I know in real time without us talking, without breaking immersion, what their subjective anxiety is. And also I can have them um, hooked up to like biofeedback where we're measuring heart rate, we're measuring blood pressure, we're, we're measuring uh, temperature of the skin, sweating. God. So I, so that's, I get, that's a, I like so, so I get those, those physical reactions as well. So we have the subjective and the objective measurement of, of anxiety. Yeah. And so we start it slow on the, on the fourth floor and then, you know, and then maybe, maybe that session, that's all we, we make it, but maybe not, maybe they're bored. I tell them, you know, if you're bored, then, <laughs> yeah. then we move it on, you know, then we turn up <laughs> yeah. the volume. So we, now when you get so, to the top, is it like Willy Wonka just launches? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I would love that. I'm sorry. That, I, I mean, yeah, that would be cool. But we do try to keep, <laughs> we do try to keep it in a, um, sure we do try to keep it in, in more realistic. It's like the opposite of this would just be, what would you do normally? So, so maybe the top of this is, you know, we go to, you know, the 82nd floor and we actually come out to the balcony, but we stand back, but maybe at the very end, mm. we're able to stand in front of the balcony and, and we're able to look out and you can look all around and you can look down. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of um, exposes them in that virtual way. And then they're able to go out and do, you know, homework assignments between therapy sessions where they're, um, you know, going and um, going up different elevators or, or they're trying different things too on their own in between sessions. So mm. um, I, I think actually one of the best, <laughs> and, and I've had lots of training from lots of, of uh, people who are well-known in, in the anxiety uh, research field, but one of the best um pieces of information I ever got was when, um, I was training back in 2004. Actually, I, I have a skydiving license. Um, I haven't <laughs> jumped for a few years, but, but I did have my own parachute and I was, you know, get my training to, to become a, a licensed skydiver. And 
I think it was maybe my fourth or fifth jump. And I was in this tiny Cessna and I was used to jumping out of <laughs> bigger aircraft where you could just, sure. you know, run out the back and do a flip or something. But this one was right. small and the uh, instructor opens up the door and he says, okay, crawl out there, put your foot on the strut, crawl out on, right. on the wing and then, and then wait for me and I'll come out. And I, I kind I felt the panic response. And I thought to myself, I said, what, what happens if I fall? That was the one. Yeah. That was the anxiety. What, if, what happens if I fall? And he he says to me, he says, "Well, if you fall, you're either going to pull your parachute and live, or you're not, and you're going to die." <laughs> There's no middle uh, ground here. You're telling me. <laughs> so essentially, it, it, and I was like, I was like, he wasn't a, he wasn't a therapist. Uh, British Bob was his name. I'm actually still friends with British Bob. Um, but, but it was awesome. very good ther- therapeutic advice because British Bob yeah. told me basically that whatever happens to you, right, falling off the plane or whatever is beyond your control, whatever you do after that is mm-hmm. on you. Straight yeah. up, yeah. <laughs> I, love I, that. I, find it, I find it very interesting, though, that like you, you have to slowly make your way to this strut and put your feet on it and then climb out onto the wing and then jump, presumably, right? And that I can understand somehow that that would be harder for me to do than running out the ass end of a plane. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Like in a full, str- in a full sprint, because you're just like, fuck it. You know, well, like that's because you feel like you have more control and you don't want to get hooked on anything and you don't want something to yeah. pop before it has to, you know, like, I don't want to climb on a wing. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> a plane. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's just like, imagine this whole thing. And I was just like, to the no. stuntmen. Come on. Yeah, I'm like, the military doesn't even do that as far as I know. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> well, it, I'm sure they have done it. I'm sure they have done it. I mean, I, I can't say shit. When offered the choice to take a biplane tour of Bar Harbor, Maine, or go on a boat and see whales, I went with the fucking boat. I was like, let's, up. let's just do this boat thing. And then we saw whales, so it worked out, you know. But, hey, um, I feel that. Man, that's I don't know. I can't remember who it was. I think it was my buddy's uncle. Um, he was army and he said to me, He's like, oh, I don't understand jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. I just don't, <laughs> I and, just don't and get it. Skydivers will respond, there's no such thing as a perfectly good airplane. You are not wrong. <laughs> yes. Um but, but in all honesty, because I treat fear of flying, it's actually the safest mode of travel. I've known more skydivers. Mm-hmm died on the drop zone on the way flying. to the drop zone uh, riding a oh. motorcycle or in car accidents more i've, I've known more of huh. them who died from that than uh, 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 it's my it. my record i got 11 uh, car accidents and zero plane accidents so i think yeah. i'm doing okay yeah yeah and, and and as we're talking about exposure here right and, and even and i'll bring this back to, to skydiving it was a trip i think i took out in arizona in 2006 um great drop zone out there in eloy and, um, and it was one of the few times I paid a packer to pack my parachute and pay him five bucks. Cause I was just tired and I didn't want to pack my own parachute. And I was like, I'm mm-hmm. going to quit being so controlling. And that was, that was the one time that I did have a, a high speed malfunction because when, oh, it came time, when it came time to pull, nothing happened. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's my my main parachute was 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 locked. It's it's what's called a monkey fist. So my pilot chute was stuck. But, um, you know, I in in that moment, I didn't panic because I just, you know, training kicked in. I I pulled, Mm -hmm. you know, the reserve parachute. Um, 
And, and I was actually able to stay calm in that moment and survive. It wasn't until I got to the ground and realized that one of the risers had had burned my neck. And I was like, Oh my God, what just, what just happened? This is kind of crazy here. Um, Where's Mr. Where's that dude I gave five bucks to? I need to talk real quick. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I said. He, he actually at that point was in the bar and I said, you know, I had a high speed malfunction. And he says, you want me to buy you a beer? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's dude. Look, yeah, that's some balls. I'm not going to, I can, uh, I can't hate that completely. Yeah. (laughs) But, but I remember the fear didn't really hit me until I got on the ground. I was like, wow. That was a mm-hmm. close, that was a close call. And then I did, yeah. you know, kind of like the zebra, right? I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. And it's replaying in my head. Like, oh, that was really scary. I almost, I didn't really almost, I had, a, I had a reserve, but, yeah. um, but then I, I was terrified. I remember calling my husband like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I think that was like on my 59th jump. And I said, I'm done. I'm not skydiving anymore. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. done. And he said, he said, nah, he said, go. And, and he's not a skydiver. He jumped from the military. He's not a skydiver. Yeah. But he said, he said, go get your reserve pack and get back up there as soon as possible. Because if you don't, yeah. this is the avoidance part, then that fear is going to set in and you will never go yeah. back. <clears throat> you know? Yeah. I would, I, I would advise getting a wingsuit. Ah. <laughs> Just go all out. Just go all out. Let's just make yeah. it happen. Or jet pack. Be like yeah. that one weird rich person yeah. who had like the weird jump pack. Who would like fly up as high as planes? Do that. That'd be cool. Near near yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah. That guy. Okay. Then you have a whole different category of people like Jeb Corliss, who who are your wingsuiters and stuff. That that's 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 that is a different animal. There's there's, cal- there's calculated risk, and then there's like, oh my gosh, this person has a death wish. So I was yeah. <laughs> Not, not to tangent too much, but like, you know, Joe Kittinger, the dude that did the previous first highest jump from like the edge of the atmosphere. Uh, yes. And like, yes. His yep. his whole thing was just like garden rubber gloves and duct tape. Like they didn't have a spacesuit for his ass or anything. They just <laughs> right. stuck yep. him up in a gondola and said, oh, good luck, buddy. And then they said like <laughs> his hands swelled up to like five times their size because he was in a spiral, like all that oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah was this remember. Red Bull dude? Nothing. I'm not taking anything away from this Baumgartner guy or nothing, but like wasn't as hardcore as Kitten German. <laughs> like sorry. <laughs> well, but what people don't realize is is, you know, because I, I watched that live uh, at the oh, time. I think so that was cool. in 2000, I think it was 2012. But what people don't realize is he also uh held the record. I don't know if he still does, but held the record also for the lowest jump. I think it was like 250 feet. So oh, shit. now it's if you're a skydiver, to me, it's That's... like the the higher I am, the better because I have more time mm-hmm. to, yeah. to respond to things. That's why I never <laughs> base jump. Base jump, you've got one second and you don't yeah. have an extra parachute. Yeah. Um, so, so the lower jump, people like woofos is what we call them, non non skydivers. Woofos yeah. <laughs> have no idea how scary a a 250 foot jump is so he actually held the highest and the lowest so a a little aside there what a maniac but 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 part of of the right the exposure in that situation when i had this this malfunction was you know i I was terrified i had this scary experience and and my Mm -hmm. husband was right had i not Mm -hmm. gone back immediately it would have set in and then I would have avoided that. So, but I did, I had it packed and I went back the next day at night and I was scared. Um, and I jumped yeah. and it was fine. And then I started to develop the safety and then I did another 10 jumps over that weekend. <laughs> and then guess what? The safety 
that that safety feeling is back. Not to say, oh, it's safe jumping out of airplanes, but it really is safer than driving in a car. Um, yeah. But but I I had to. Re- I had to build back up the safety response after the fear yeah. response. But had I not, had I avoided that, I would have never gone back and I would have been uh-huh. scared of that. So that's, that's how exposure works. And it's, and it's, it's based in science, right? It's based in science. When yeah. we yeah. avoid the things that we're scared of, the fear response stays. Yeah. Right. That, that would explain sense. why I don't have a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> God damn! All this time. So, so well, no, I it, I was in a car accident when I was taking guitar lessons. Oh, and it, oh, no! See, I mean, it's it's see, not even now. It's like, a, now it's a cue, right? The guitar is a cue, right. and it launched over my shoulder, but didn't break um, because it was an amazing guitar. But the, <laughs> the, the three quarter ton GMC pickup truck removed the entire front of my eighty one Toyota Corolla. And like slid my right arm out of its socket, oh. and I did, I did that fucking lethal weapon thing, and it worked. <laughs> and it, <laughs> I, I, it, it hurt like hell, but I was so surprised that I did. I was just like, "Ow, what the hell? That worked!" Yeah. <laughs> oh. Were you like, "Oh, it's been dislocated. Let me try this thing I saw in a movie for shits and giggles." <laughs> oh, I, I did it on his truck. He fucked up my car. Is the least he could do. <laughs> Dude had an Alpine sound system. I'm like, I'm gonna bang my arm on your car, like your truck. Leave me alone. <laughs> Dang. Oh, I was in shock. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sold that guitar to the first juggalo I ever met after I got out of high school. And, and he was a nice guy. He was a really yeah. nice guy. Sounds like a, a very, very good, very, very pleasant business transaction. I keep bringing up the juggalos as well as boats. Anyway, proceed, please. I'm sorry. Because because everything comes back to them. You can't you can't make it everything come back to them. Boats and jugglers. I really can. Boats and jugglers. <laughs> oh my god! But I'm see, writing that down. <laughs> That's going to be the entire description of this episode. <laughs> oh, All right. So, man. I guess for you know for the skeptics in the audience, how does VR therapy work? Like how how can you ensure that the well, you were mentioning before that, you know, PTSD will sometimes uh, cause uh, the well, people suffering from that to sort of lock themselves out of, um, well, or lock away the stimulus that will trigger some certain memories, uh, certain memories. And um, I was just wondering how, and there's also, you know, the question of, I mean, VR isn't the matrix yet. It's not like it's the exact same thing as real life. You know, you, I don't have a whole lot of experience with it at this point. So maybe I'm missing something, but I I get the sense that you would always be aware that you're wearing a headset and that you are holding controllers. Yeah. We have like two different, like, because coin ops, you know, I've been over his place a few times and we do VR. We have like two different views on it because coin ops, doesn't forget that he's in the room. I do. Like when I'm when I'm in there for a while, I'm just doing stuff in VR. Uh, when I take the headsets off, like it, it's weird, right? Because it's easy to fool the meat of the human brain. Because <laughs> for me, when I'm in it for a long while, like I know I'm in your basement. I know there's a dog mm-hmm. right by my feet, so I shouldn't back mm-hmm. up. But like <laughs> after a while, it's like your brain kind of forgets that. I know that. But like, what? It, it's weird. And when I take them off, it's like, oh, shit. 
you know, actually in, in like preparation for this, I put it on and I like dicked around with a couple of the apps and one of them is the wingsuit, uh, uh rush VR game. Yeah. And I, I, cause I was thinking about what, what, uh, uh, scum was saying about that, how he, yeah. he gets completely immersed in it. And I, I don't like I have a, but I do have that thing where when you take it off your brain and everything, all your senses have to readjust. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I believe that I, my consciousness oh. never leaves like reality, yeah. I, but I, you know, I'm putting, I'm putting myself into a virtual space and I'm still rooted in front of a couch. Well, you know? it's, and it's awful. I think part of it is too, like for, you know, wingsuit simulator or something like that. You can't yet simulate the, uh, the sensation of like falling. Yeah. Of falling or, yes. but at the, the closest same. I get is I do uh, the Skyrim VR with the window open in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, as like, close as I can yeah, get. But when you're doing like anything with heights, and I don't even have to be in VR to feel like your stomach kind of drops. Right. I've, I've also, but I, yeah, I have also heard that sometimes when people like jump off of something in VR, they don't realize, they think that they're actually falling. So when mm-hmm. they connect with, uh, with the ground the wall. in the game, then they just they ragdoll they just fall they fall over essentially mm. um, oh there's endless uh youtube videos uh compilations yeah. <laughs> of people yeah. forgetting so, where they are what exactly does it i guess my question is what uh what is required to trick the brain enough to make it think to at least get that sort of partition where, you know, part of your brain is like fully engaged. And then the other part of your brain is like, yeah, this still isn't real. Like, why does this work? Because, because yeah, like (laughs) I said, like I said, alien isolation, like I, I know that I'm not on a spaceship. I know that I'm not Amanda Ripley. Um, Mm. but like, God damn, like those fucking androids creepy as hell, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and they do a lot of things to make, to, they do a lot of very impressive things to immerse you in that game. The sound design, mm-hmm. the music, the the environment, and every, mm-hmm. I mean, just all the detail that they put into it. Yeah, it makes it feel very lived in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, Sorry, that I, was very long. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I, I'm, and I'm thinking, and I think you're you're right. I think you know some people it's easier to immerse um, than it is for other people. I, I think it goes back to to what we were identifying earlier, that people with anxiety disorders already have a very active and immersive imagination. Otherwise, they wouldn't have an anxiety disorder, right? (laughs) Right, Um, (laughs) right. Usually what I find is is using the VR therapeutically when it's less effective for somebody when they say, when they say, okay, this doesn't feel real. It's usually because they're doing mental blocking or they're doing an Mm. an avoidance. They're doing an anxiety avoidance, Hmm. not Hmm. so much that like, oh, I'm totally immersing myself and I'm just not feeling it because they're, they're actually trying to block it because there is still, you know, that, that fear and, and anxiety. Um, when we're talking so, about anxiety disorders, right? That, yeah. That's what people with anxiety disorders are going to do. Most of them immerse anyway without VR. They A lot of them stay in their head a lot of times with a lot of thoughts yeah. and images. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I just turned my light on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, so then essentially the, uh, the, the requirement is internal consent then. It's like, it's like hypnosis. 
because you can't really mm. be hypnotized unless you want to be hypnotized. Is is that correct? Or, you know, being on certain servers. Or is it like on, more like uh, more like a suspension forward. of disbelief? Like in any fiction, right? Right. Well and and I I don't think uh VR exposure is is really any different than imaginal exposure or in vivo mm. exposure. Hmm. Um, you in, know what? In that, yeah. in that anybody can do, you know, an in vivo in- exposure and say, well, I'm really not in danger because my therapist is here with me and my therapist wouldn't put me in danger. So I'm not feeling the anxiety, right? You can yeah. still do that. Yeah. yeah. You can still yeah. tell your brain things that makes you not feel the anxiety or even we didn't talk about the other exposure, which is called interoceptive exposure. And that's where hmm. I actually, we actually induce sensation. So let's hyperventilate and bring on a panic attack. And I do that Oof. with my client. Oh. I bring, I have, I have several panic attacks every week, uh, you know, with, with clients as we're doing interoceptive exposures, we bring on the sensations or, you know, we, we do all kinds of different things. If somebody has derealization, I have different exercises we can do where we can derealize. And so, but if wow. somebody blocks that and says, oh, well, but this is only because I'm doing this exercise with the therapist in their office, therefore I'm safe. And then they interpret the sensation differently, then it, <laughs> yeah. it right doesn't bring on the anxiety. So, so to me, that the virtual reality itself is is not much different than the imaginal or the in vivo exposures. Because if they're blocking and they're not fully immersing, it's because of the anxiety, not because oh this isn't realistic. It's because they're blocking it because of anxiety. So well, you know, it, it, think about that thing, this whole t- argument that has been going on since the dawn of cinema is the book better than the movie. And a lot of people usually come down on the side of the book because as you're reading the book, you are creating this entire reality yeah. inside your head. Yep. Yeah. You got the best special effects, the greatest like, you know, description and texture and everything else of like an alien or whatever like and then you see it and it's in a movie and it's it's kind of like that wonder is taken away from you because oh oh that's what they think it looks like you know what i mean as opposed to what you imagined and i think you know vr versus imaginal i think imaginal would even have the edge there because like you'll always come up with a more fucked up version of something (laughs) than somebody could ever come up because they don't know you like you know what i mean it's true yeah you can conjure your biggest demons more vividly than i think someone could for you yep now i think i think the trick though with imaginal exposures is um is staying with that image or thought because a lot of people mm. you know with anxiety and especially yeah. like i said dealing with adhd it's like how long can i hold on to this before my brain jumps lanes <laughs> to something else right whereas the vr is like you're you're stuck in this and, and i'll say even even outside of just the exposures um i have platforms um in in my vr platform environments for um, like teaching progressive muscle relaxation and diaphragmatic mm. breathing and those kind of visualization things. And and I've had many people say that actually works better than um, like the auditory instructions you usually get is like, you know, close your eyes and imagine this and that. Because a lot of people with anxiety, with ADHD, their, their brain wanders. But if we're in an environment and I have one of them where, you know, you're under the water and there's a... Um, you know, a puffer fish that's blowing in and out and you're actually moving your belly in and out to the rhythm of the blowfish, but you're watching the blowfish, but you can also look around and it's soothing and you're underwater unless you have a fear of being underwater. It works or a fear very of well. Or a fear okay, of that sounds, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because, because now, now we can do a relaxation exercise and we're visually 
focused on something. And so mm. that to me is where VR can have a little bit of edge over imaginal in that okay. we can keep your attention, but the yeah, VR yeah. can't, you know, you know, uh, create some of the things the imaginal um, can in terms mm. of like those more of the OCD stuff we talked about earlier, if we have uh, pedophilic obsessions or suicidal mm. obsessions mm-hmm. um, or things like that, you know, those are usually better for imaginal exposures or existential obsessions um, where mm. we'd have yeah. people who um, question, not in a philosophical sense, but in an anxiety sense of, you know, what if, what if this isn't reality or what if we're living in a simulation Ooh. and I'm not yeah. really me? And, and they, they actually get really, really stuck in here. And, and the anxiety that they have is not so much the content of that, but it's the uncertainty of it because nobody can say for certain if it is true or if it isn't true. And that's yeah. what they're really hearing is I don't really know if I live in a simulation or not. I don't know if I'm the real me or if I'm in a multiverse. I don't oh, know. I, if the I, <laughs> no, we've, that's this has been a, a major topic of conversation. Also, like for yeah. Us. yeah, pretty much right. fucking day one. I mean, <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, yeah. so good, so good. And and right now, I don't have a VR platform that you know has the floor opening up and and sucking all of your items into the the multiverse, and so you have to count them over and over. I, oh, no, so we friends. have to do. We have mm, to do yeah. that one through imaginal, right? I don't have a yeah, good lord, yes, not yet. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe I could get somebody you know really good with that. Now I will say I, I think because the demand in my field unfortunately isn't super high for this right now. I don't think it's mm. caught up yet with the general demand. Yeah, um, sure. Of course, there are still a lot of therapists who are still doing paper charts. They haven't even moved to electronic charting. So um, yeah. mm. so. You know, and I like to incorporate a lot of technology in, into what I do because I think that's just how a lot of people function these days. But mm-hmm. but the VR yeah. itself, um, because there's there aren't a whole lot of therapists trained in it or, or doing it right now, um, it also, you know, limits the environments and the platforms. Uh, there's a couple of companies out there, and, and I subscribe to one called, you know, Sias. Um, they're out of Spain and, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and there are some good environments in the platform. It's not perfect. I wish, you know, that, that there were more things, but I think because they're limited because there's not a lot of therapists doing it, they're kind of limited in in how many environments that they can put there. I think it's still Mm -hmm. pretty impressive. And well, the, the, the fact that, you know, I mean, not to, I should have thought about how I was going to phrase the question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't want to diminish like the the amount of education that you have as a therapist, but the fact that this isn't relegated to uh, to say f- like uh, psychiatrists or something like that is, or people people who generally uh, seem to. Um, like have more resources to tour around with this kind of thing, but I uh, are also yeah. kind of beholden to this terrible uh, medical m- Medicare system that we have or well, like, healthcare. Yeah. System is that, that, it, that we live is in. that like, is it limited to that or is it limited because like how many other platforms are there? Well, I, was, really- I was just going to say that it's, it's kind of amazing. I think that, that, you know, someone with, your level of 
of education uh, is able to do this kind of thing and, a- and is able to experiment with it. Well, uh, that that was the biggest reason why I wanted to go into private practice because I wanted yeah. to have I wanted to have the flexibility to to do that. I mean, yeah. you know, I've worked yeah. where I worked before here. Great, I worked at uh, Dickinson College and great place to work. Um, and I had you know a great uh, team that I worked for there. Um, but I think, uh, you know, whether you're there or in another agency or in a, you know, bureaucratic mental health system, uh, you're limited in terms of even what they allow you to do therapeutically. And I don't, I don't, even if I were to pay for the own platform, you know, myself, I don't know that some of the places that I work would have even, you know, allowed that. Utilized it. Yeah. Yeah. Or or utilized it because, and and it is evidence-based. It's not it's not the therapy itself. It's, it's a tool. It's just another way to do exposure therapy, which is an yeah. evidence-based therapy yeah. model. It's a couch. Yeah. Right. It's like a couch. It's a room with objects in it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's another aspect of a larger spectrum of things that you can yeah. do to treat people. Yeah. I think and, that and this, it just happens. This is, this is the cynical well, not, yeah. part of me coming out is I think the reason why a lot of agencies and, and a lot of places don't do this is because you, you know, it does cost a little bit more money um, mm. to get the platforms to do this stuff. Um, and, and they don't get reimbursed anymore. You know, insurance companies or even private. I don't charge people anymore, whether they, you know, want to come in and talk about, you know, what happened this week. Although I'm generally an action oriented therapist, but not everybody mm. goes into the VR. Not everybody wants to go in the VR, but I don't charge the people who do any any different but right right but other larger organizations don't see it as financially viable like why are we going to spend the money doing this when when insurance isn't going to reimburse us anymore but so i think that's the cynical part of me is also why it's like well why bother if i'm going to get paid the same just you know talking to you know just saying how was your week versus doing this then what are you going to do but but i'm i'm somebody who's always striving you know to help people I tell them I want to help them become like their own therapist. I'm I'm not the type of therapist who wants to keep somebody, you know, in, in treatment hook. or therapy yeah. forever. Yeah. Or, I, I'm not a bio and that's, 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 that's what we call them, bio friends. I'm not a bio friend. I want to teach you to be <laughs> to be yeah, that's, your own therapist. Yeah. That is yeah. my fear of like uh of of psychiatrists, honestly, is I, I think that a lot of it seems that a, from what I hear of like you know, the fentanyl epidemic, uh, like, you know, doctors will just prescribe this for reasons that they shouldn't be prescribing it. Fentanyl is a drug that should be only given to people, to terminally ill patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they're handing it out like candy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like antidepressants and, nowadays too. Like, yeah. even if you don't really oh, need antidepressants, like they'll just like... Or Adderall. Yeah, like I mean, instrumental illness, they have, antidepressants. They have a, yeah, they have right a the, uh, they have a quota, and that's that's what's terrifying. Therapy <laughs> gain well, like just uh, uh, I don't know the uh, LM, LMSW like let's license medical social workers, um, and like counselors and that kind of thing. That seems a lot more holistic to me than mm. uh than say you know people who are just trying to pile chemicals on top of chemicals i think it, i think it definitely adds to your credibility though the fact that like you like it's a tool for you right like it's yeah. not like the end all be all because we like right. therapy is therapy yeah yeah like, exactly and i guess that's what i was trying to say is that these other doctors uh 
confuse the tools for the therapy. Yeah. Oftentimes. Well, it's technology, mm-hmm. right? People, people, as we've seen with literally everything we've looked at, like all the dumb shit like happening in the world, people love technology. People get real yeah. excited about it. Technology is yeah. going to save us. But like, well, I mean, I've, it's more than that, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've seen the other side of this, though, like years and years ago. And you think I'd be like gun shy of, of like just the psychiatric field in general because of this one incident. But like it's the first time I'm walking in, I'm having problems like I can't go to work. My anxiety, everything is just I can't pay attention. The music is playing in my head constantly at maximum volume. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm not sleeping at all. And I go in and I sit down with this guy who looks like the actor who played Sledgehammer, except smaller and skinnier and without a large gun. Okay. Then. And this is the first time I'm meeting this guy. All right. And he's sitting there with these two, like very attractive young women. And he's like, do you mind if these interns sit in on this session? I was like, dude, I don't even fucking know you. And I'm like, didn't you read the notes? I'm having girl problems. Why would you do this? Like, what the fuck? And he wrote me a prescription for way too much Paxil. And uh, within about two, three weeks, I had a full spectrum hallucination of a dragon in my backyard. Like everything, but I, I didn't go down to touch it. I just oh, saw shit. it through the window. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. And it, and it recited the fourth chapter of John Gardner's Grendel to me. Um, <laughs> not lying. That's all real. But awesome. like, you know, I've, I've seen, I've been to, uh, I've been to like counselors like since then, um, like after I got injured um, when I was living in Indiana, there was this guy I talked to for a while. He was fucking great, man. Cause he just, he would ask the right question at the right time, which I think is so much about like he was paying attention and that's, what it has to be this other guy just wanted to throw pills at me kick me out oh and fun fact that dude lost his practice not very long after oh, that thank god several reasons <laughs> but like yeah it, uh, it kind of sounded like a little, little fast and loose interns, with the fucking candy huh? yeah 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 interns <laughs> it was weird but yeah but the, but the dude in indiana was great you know and and the couple that I've, I've talked to since then it's usually just been like one or two sessions to be like yeah no everything does suck you're not that crazy man it's cool and i was like <laughs> All right, all right, all right. I just want to make sure somebody else is seeing this. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, sometimes, sometimes that's all we need. Sometimes I tell people, yeah. yeah, you know what? You're having a very normal response to an abnormal situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we had our preliminary talk, the one thing that I like took with me the loudest was that idea that like seeking peace is not our natural state. The idea that like anxiety is our natural state. You don't understand. Like that put took such a fucking weight off my shoulders because yeah. i was like oh my god i've been doing this for 46 years i'm thinking it's not the thing that's like everyone who wants everything here i yeah. am like the master of like fucking anxiety like, yeah, Same. Not, yeah. like... And, and that and that and I'm, I'm glad that that took a, a weight off your shoulders because i think and that's that's the perspective i come from is, and, and i'm very against this there's been a trend and i hope it's dying down now but i, I call it toxic positivity yeah and positive yeah. positive yeah. positive Woo. psychology oh, and god, yeah. um god i'm so sick of it because oh. i think i think it causes even more anxiety it really does like something's wrong it with does. me something's wrong with me because i'm not positive and happy all the time Ugh, and all it's the, like because we're not that's, supposed that's to be. normal i don't trust people yeah, right. who are like just happy all the time i'm like what kind of blessed fucking life do you lead that you're like the only person yeah. that i know that was happy all the time had had brain surgery at some, at one point uh, God so. bless. <laughs> mm-hmm. right right you see ignorance is, is bliss um, <laughs> wait, wait is this it is this the turning point is this where we bring back trepanning <laughs> 
I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, God. but but I do think that, you know, it, it's important for people to recognize, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay to have, you know, a full range of emotions, even within, you know, this, the same day. It's yeah. okay yeah. to yeah. not be happy all the time. And in fact, we, I think we equate happiness with pleasure. That sure. is another, mm. you know, yeah. my problem it's with marketing fleeting. too. Is it, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's fleeting. You know, pleasure is fleeting. Um, any emotions we have are fleeting. And, and I think that that's freeing for people. It's like, I feel really bad or anxious or sad right now, but you know what? That's also fleeting. So it's pleasure. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. going to hold on to any one emotion indefinitely because that's not how we're designed. We're, you know, we've nah. got weather and well, climate you, in and out. Unless and, you suffer from depression and in which case. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Right. Pretty one note for a while just there. Just a bad day. Like I just, yeah. write, I just write right. that out. Right. Yeah, I, I, my biggest problem with it too is trying to convince somebody that there's like depression is not sadness. No. No. Sadness is like losing a loved one. Depression is the inability for me to give a fuck right. about doing dishes today or this week yep. right. or this month. Cleaning my garbage you know, out or lack, lack of lack of motivation. But here, but here's the thing, and there's some you know there's some talk in, in the field, and I've had this this thought myself when it comes to depression is that I think all emotions um, and, and even depression beyond an emotion is, is, you know, a state of being tells us something, right? Mm -hmm. Depression. Mm -hmm. And and I see depression as also probably a syndrome of many other things. It could Mm -hmm. be, it could be something medical, biological, physical. It's a lot of times not even external, but it's, it's our body telling us something is wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And and if you think of the symptoms of depression, they're very similar to like symptoms that you would see with um, animals with like hibernation. Right. So you have a mm. lack of energy. You have lack of motivation. You, you're actually you're actually reserving yeah. all your energy. Right. You're watching so, Seinfeld reruns. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're you just kind of have the Yeah. It, it, it's it's a it's a big state of, of emptiness. But. When we can tune in and say, what is, you know, what is this telling me? Not just, oh, I need to make this go away. But if we start listening to it and say, what is this telling me? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And we start listening to it individually. Yeah. Then I think that that's where a lot of healing comes from. A- again, not to say, oh, well, we'll never be depressed. A lot of people with anxiety disorders and OCD, right? We'll always have that. But part of, yeah. part of what I teach is how you respond to it. You know, mm-hmm. the person who's depressed oftentimes has secondary guilt and shame. Why am I depressed? I, sh- I don't have anything to be depressed about. Mm-hmm. I've got this, this and that. And then they have secondary thoughts about why they're feeling the way they feel and that they shouldn't feel that. Way. It, it, it doesn't yeah. help like in like just TV media or like even com- let's say commercials, for example, like everyone is oh, happy. Yeah. Like that's just modern marketing, right? So you always depict people laughing and being happy and doing stuff. And this magic drug will make you feel like this. And you can spend time with your grandkids. But like, it's not like that. Like everything isn't good. And sometimes I think um, modern marketing and media like does like it, it kind of contributes like toxic positivity sometimes where you're just surrounded. Oh, yeah, by, of course. You're surrounded well, by it sells, absolutely. It sells, it, it sells happiness. And Disney. Every, yeah. Everything sells happiness. Disney. Right, right, or pleasure. right. Pleasure. Yeah, this is, right. This and is, only a yeah. few things actually deliver it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying music is good. However... <laughs> 
being beaten over the head with a song in every possible oh, form of me. You know what? I'm really What's glad we're in this uh, era as opposed to like radio. Pharrell you know? Williams. Uh, <laughs> happy. God. Oh my God, that song. That song gave me diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I worked at a grocery store once and they kept playing the same like, because they must have used like a soundtrack like grocery store soundtrack because they play mm-hmm. it repeat, the same four mm-hmm. songs on repeat. So I'm like squeezing yep. oranges in the back for like juice. And I'm like, I'm just getting hit over the head with these awful songs constantly like blasting. I don't know why there had to be a speaker mm-hmm. in the back room, but like, it was like psychological yeah. torture after a while where I'm like, I'm going to lose oh, yeah. my mind. I'm going to go postal. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, but but, but listen, to, oh, listen to those songs in the grocery store or anywhere you go. And, and oh, they're yeah. songs that, that have done marketing to make you spend more money. Oh, and, God, you yeah. know, I'm, 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 a, a... I'm a Gen Xer and I go in there and, you know, every now and then you might hear a little bit here and there, but you don't go in there and you don't hear like the good grunge songs, which were all about <laughs> depression and self-destruction. Yeah, 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 we're, yeah. we're not going to yeah. play songs about self-destruction while I'm well, Jeremy. <laughs> 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 Because you're going to restore you here, Jeremy. He's broke. Because that doesn't make you, that doesn't make you want to buy things, right? It. It's going to be it's going to be Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be uh, let's see. It's going to be Candlebox. It's going to be. I'm picking the shitty Gen X songs that they'll play in a, a grocery but, store. But it's nostalgia. They want. They want it. They it's want nostalgia. The nostalgia. Yeah. Of right. The, the middle age. All the one hit wonders. Yep. It's going to be the, the Verve pipe. The Verve pipe freshman. That'll be on yeah. there. Yeah. Oh yep. yeah. Um, it's it, well. There was this article that came out not that long ago talking about how there was this like really weird, like there was this very wealthy like Mormon that got involved in just like this weird music industry, which was kind of how we got Imagine Dragons to some degree. Though I'm not going to talk oh, shit God. about the people. The people that are actually in the band are pretty actually they're pretty cool. They've been pushing back against the church and their stance on like LGBT, yeah, I don't, you, I don't you know stuff. Yeah. Okay, okay. But their music is that it's like I was talking about casinos the one time. Is they have this endless circling crescendo all the machines are tuned to the same like uh, pitch or or at least like the same uh, scale and even if they're playing a different part of a longer melody where you stand and how they mix together is this endless spiraling Mm -hmm. crescendo and it will fucking make you go nuts and get a little high just by hearing it (laughs) It, it's the it's the thx sound but in tinkly town you know like it's it's really crazy shit it's sinister as fuck yeah. Right, because because there's an algorithm of, about the emotions that it's going to hit you, and you're going to consume it like candy corn. <laughs> yeah, uh, I used to work at a grocery store, and one time they uh, close your eyes and count to fuck by uh, Run the Jewels came <laughs> on yeah. the radio. <laughs> that was that dude quitting his job. Yeah. That's what that was. <laughs> You know, you know, I have, I have never, in, in all these places that I've been as middle age, I've never heard them play Nine Inch Nails anywhere. That would be so cool. Mm-hmm. Would... But only the Johnny Cash one, and only yeah. at mm-hmm. this one really. It's yeah. like it would be a chain, like restaurant, like Longhorn, yeah, uh, yeah. Like barbecue. You know what I mean? Or like Outback or something. But it would just be one of those places. Well, this is it like wouldn't a, be like th- this is like the idea too. Home. Maybe as a therapist, you could attest to this of like some of the happiest people I fucking know are like goth or metalheads or like me yeah. like i just listen to like really depressing and or loud industrial oh dude and like for real you, for real you get it out you get it out of you yeah one, right? one of the yeah. one of the happiest guys i know is like straight up nihilist just completely just out of the gate 
uh, just we'll, removed all the pressure. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> like nihilism <laughs> removes a lot of pressure. I sto- I hear, <laughs> yeah, I hear stories of people who worship uh, the Hindu goddess of death, um, and they're like the happiest fuckers ever because <laughs> yeah. they're like nothing matters. Do, do, do. <laughs> well, there, there's that. There's that. There's that chart. There's three types. There's like uh, uh, nothing matters. And it's like a sad face. And then there's like, nothing matters. And it's a happy face. And there's yeah, uh, like nothing matters. Yeah. And and you have a trumpet. It's, so it's you play the, ska. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, nothing externally has changed. It's just how you've perceived it, which is actually yeah, the exactly. core of all therapy, right? It's how we perceive yeah. our thoughts and, and, and our feelings about things. Yeah. And, and you've just you've just hit it over the head right there. Interesting. Well, yeah. now that we're talking about something fun, let me kill the mood. And uh, which is which I'm well, which I yeah. often do. Well, Let's... A lot of people want therapy, right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people need therapy, right? Oh, I need therapy. Everybody. Everybody. Needs everybody. Yeah. Drop the ball, Scott. When I say not that everybody needs it, <laughs> not not I'm saying not everybody needs it, but but, but no, no, everybody no. everybody could use some self improvement. Sure. Everybody mm-hmm. needs therapy. That's why yeah. here at, I don't even fucking remember what they're called. What are they called again? I would say every American needs therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and only every American. Yeah. First, first starters. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, because there's, there's this. Not, uh, like the, the, not like the mind scanners kind of uh, <laughs> therapy no. where it's, okay, I'm going to plug this machine into you and uh, diagnose your problem that way. And this has to take two hours. I gotta. I've got like three or four more people that I got to take care of today. So you know, there's an app. app. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah. Well, that's why you know. That's like that's why you know. Jennifer is the neural cryptographer. Oh yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Mapping it, mapping it out. Speaking where it's got to be. Speaking of uh, speaking of therapists that yeah. Speaking of therapy that does. uh, Operate like or therapy businesses that do operate like mind scanners. Uh. BetterHelp. Yes. You have expressed that you don't like it. Yes. Please, um, please explain. <laughs> elucidate. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's get into the okay, shit. Okay. So, and, and, and again, it's not just BetterHelp, but I think there, there's Talkspace and then you know, some other yeah. conglomerates out there. But BetterHelp yeah. also has some like little arms underneath it. I forget what some of them are called, but, but there's there's one. It's um, LGBTQ you know, counseling. And then there's a couples one. There's even a faith one, but they're all under yeah. the same umbrella. So it's uh-huh. Kind of big marketing, um, yeah. So kind of like, uh, kind of like Facebook, except that they don't really try to hide that they own every right. single uh, or, everything. Or like, or like food companies, right? Isn't there like four right. food companies yeah. that like own all yeah. the other companies? Yeah. Or publishers, four publishers. Hold on, let's, yeah. let's establish first. BetterHelp. What is it? Yes, we all okay. know. So the, yeah, do you want to do you want to take this? So I, I think, and I think BetterHelp really uh, blew up during the pandemic. But they had they had come out. I want to say it was uh, maybe around. They've been around for yeah for a few yeah, years now. Yeah, six seven years, um, and and it's really um, they're owned by a bigger company, Teladoc, um, who also has many many investors. There's a lot of you know, tech tech industry. Oh um, right. Tech industry. So what I, what I'm saying there is people who aren't in the mental health field. People who saw, you know, oh, a good opportunity, you know, to make good profit. So in summary, I, I see BetterHelp is like the Uber of therapy, the gig economy of therapy. Yeah. That wasn't a that wasn't a haha laugh on my part. That was a I don't have any other response available, so yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah, because kind of thing. What it is All is right. like you could download it or you could go to their website, right? And you can like, hey, I like in my case, I'm afraid of men in bunny suits, right? So 
I go in there. I'm like, I would like to talk to someone about my fear of men in bunny suits, specifically men in bunny suits. And they would just, you download the app. I uh, presume you just try and figure out what kind of therapist that you would need or quote unquote therapist that you would need from this app. And they would just hook you up with somebody to talk to. I've never used it, but it, it, I believe it's like that. But the thing is, like you said, it's like, are they, are they professionals? Like, well, I, I will say, yes, they, um, they are professional. I think okay. I, I can't say if they've always been, um, I, you know, just, um, they do vet and make sure, um, that the people who apply there and they apply as contractors, not uh, as employees uh, that, that may, that may have changed recently, but based on the knowledge that I had, you know, from 2019 and early 2020, um, mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. you know, contractors, um, and, and of course you'd have to send a resume to them. Um, and, and they would have an interview, like a video interview. You'd have to send out all the documentation. You'd have to hold up your license. So they're verifying that you're the person on the screen. And then they do check with licensing boards, you know, of the state to make sure that you're licensed. Um, there's, and, and the pandemic really blew this open when telehealth became really big because mm-hmm. that is often, uh, the only way that many therapists could continue yeah. Uh, yeah. seeing people yeah. but but there are you know there there's rules every state right you have to be licensed in that state but you can only provide therapy within the state of which you're you're licensed and so right so when this when this really blew up in the pandemic um the the problem with this has been um and i think with with better help is they would put it on the therapist to verify that whoever they linked them with was in their state. And, and the way that the law is written is the client has to be in physically in the state that the therapist is licensed in at the time of session. So for example, I'm licensed in Pennsylvania and, and I'm also, I carry an active license in Virginia as well. I do see a couple people there just because I've been licensed there for a while from when I lived mm-hmm. there several years ago. Yeah. But I, I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, which means I could see anybody in the state of Pennsylvania so long as they are in Pennsylvania when we have the session. This has kind of been a, a problem with if I have a client that I've been seeing long term and who like, you know, goes to another state because they have a, a family emergency or a death in a family. And that's a really good time to keep your appointment with your therapist but yeah. i'm like oh yeah. you know i can't yeah. i can't see you because now you're in georgia and i'm not licensed in georgia so i'll see <laughs> you when you get back that's ridiculous. So what's the reasoning right. behind oh that is that God. just like an antiquated law at this point or it's 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 an example it was like of instantly yeah it's, it's, an, it's, yeah. it's yeah. an example of a law that has not caught up again with with technology i think for a it long hasn't time caught up with fucking t- telephones it or, hasn't caught up. or well, with the car and this yeah. is and this kind of, you know, this this blends into what we were talking about with, with VR, but licensing boards and, and even researchers in general had questioned for years because um, tele, teletherapy and um, even video therapy has at least been a thing for 20 mm-hmm. years. Um, mm-hmm. But it used to be that, well, we were so worried about um, privacy and HIPAA compliance and encryption, right? That's pretty important mm-hmm. because sure. we don't want to be doing yeah. A video right, appointment, right. and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, the data can be hacked or somebody's private information right. or, or what you're doing. So, so there was concern about that. So it used to be that you'd have to go to, you know, a particular um, location, usually within hospital systems, and you'd have to set mm-hmm. up, you know, 
almost in these teleconference rooms and it Mm -hmm. was very clunky. So the law allowed for it, but you'd have to go through (laughs) that process. So it wasn't really a thing. And then you had a lot of researchers, a lot of them, I think, older researchers who, who questioned if it, um, you know, was really a valid mode of delivering therapy? Was it effective? And they'd say, well, you Mm. can't read people's body languages and you don't have the, you don't have that energy, you know, in the session, which, Uh. yeah, you don't, you don't have that. But I will say, because I've done a lot of telehealth with with people and I do in person, but what it also does is it also helps me treat people in their environment, which is pretty powerful mm. too. Yeah, that's a so, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I have been doing telehealth since the beginning of the pandemic, and uh, and I honestly find that a lot more comfortable than being in the actual office. I feel like I'm able to open up a lot more um, right. through telehealth than. Yeah. Hmm going into the office and and that's and that's where it's a positive thing because you know we can reach a lot of people who might not ever have sought treatment going you know into a a traditional office either by um you know either by by anxiety or by um, limited uh lack of transportation or even taking time off work if you see somebody at two in the afternoon well they have to take two hours off work because they have to drive there see you and drive Mm -hmm. back well it's like yeah I've had people, you know, kind of sign in, you know, in a private place where they work during their lunch break. And that's very mm. convenient for them. Yeah, really um, or or if you're treating people with agoraphobia, which I treat a lot of people with agoraphobia, you know, eventually a goal is for them to come into the office, but they're never going to come into the office because they can't even leave their house. So now we <laughs> right. can reach them. Now we can, you know, talk to them and establish that. And we can even do exposures you know, in, yeah. in, in the home. And, and we, we've even done this with, with children. It's like, I'm afraid of my closet. Okay. Well, why don't you take the, your phone and go sit in your closet and close the door, but you have me right here with you on your phone. So now uh-huh. we're not just talking about yeah. what's happening out yeah. there. Now I'm, I'm kind of with you out there. So, so I think that yeah. there's uh-huh. definitely a benefit to that or with 80, like I said, I treat a lot of people with ADHD and then I can, I, they can show me, they show me their, look at, look at my disorganized mess. Look at all this. <laughs> right, right. You know, and then guess what? We can, we can work with that. Cause I think when people yeah. come into the therapy office, there's a lot of masking in general. It's like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm in the therapist space and I have to present myself um, a little bit better. And they tend to mask some of the difficulties that they're having just because of, of the environment. But when they're in their home environment, I've had people not even get out of bed. And they're like, I'm so depressed. Uh, good thing we have telehealth or I would have canceled this appointment. But then you can really see how depressed they are. They can't, they're not even turning on the light and they're in bed, yeah. but yeah. they can still link in with you as a therapist. So I think all those aspects are really fantastic um, for, for telehealth and, and video mm-hmm. therapy Absolutely. and, and, and better help in, in the bigger companies, I think saw that they knew that insurance companies weren't going to pay for that early on but they're like you know what we're just going to launch this ourselves we're going to launch um you know we're going to launch this ability this app where where people can connect with therapists and they they kind of present as, as if it's a um like matchmaking you tell us mm-hmm. what your problem is yeah. and then we're right. going to start yeah. through and we're going to match you with a therapist who specializes in this i will say just having been on the inside of this that it's really they match you with uh the first available therapist that comes up in yeah. the queue really Mm -hmm. is what happened yeah Yeah. and on the other end of this therapist whether you see them on 
Psychology Today, the directory, or BetterHelp, therapists oftentimes just check like, oh, well, what do you treat? Well, I, tr- I treat this, 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 and this. That part, they, there's no really um, verifying. They can verify, mm. do, do we have a license? Sure. Can they verify, are you really trained? and equipped to deal with somebody mm-hmm. with OCD, yeah. you know, I, PTSD. I guarantee no, you. No, but I can, yeah. I can mark it. I can mark that I treat that <laughs> I all guarantee, day long. I guarantee right, when they're doing right, their video right. interviews, they're using one of those, um, remember those facial recognition things <laughs> I talked about a while ago, like where it like basically yeah. does like phrenology on you to figure out whether, oh, whether you're, you're accurate, you're not lying. I guarantee you that's what it's doing for these people where it's like you give a video <laughs> interview and they're like scanning your face to make sure you're not lying. When you say, yes, I treat people with, Phobia with uh, phobias when really like, but oh, they don't. They don't even ask that. They don't even ask that. Really? They just want to make sure. Do you have a license? Because I will say this: it's a big company, right? It's not a mental health agency. It's a money making mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. All they care is that you have a license, and that's it. Yeah. Wow. And these wow. these uh, contractor app companies, like they are not. They are not regulated. Like they don't regulate it at all. Well, and this, I like this, I just got in with shipped, and I mean. I, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's part of, I guess the question was, you know, my, my beef with, and I have a few beefs with it, but, but one of the beefs is, 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 is that is you're, you're selling something to clients and, and consumers that isn't really accurate on this. And it's like, Oh, we're going to match you with this therapist. And, the, and, and you don't really even know if this therapist has, you know, specialization in, in OCD and, and anxiety. A lot of therapists say, sure, I treat that. And I've had people come in here and said, I saw a therapist for three years and they just told me if that thing makes me anxious, avoid it. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, that they just reinforce your anxiety. Um, so so maybe they didn't have a good understanding of of anxiety but Uh, but with with better help or or a lot of these other big companies i i i don't think they really care about the specialization or the quality of they just want to put they just want to they care they care they care about the subscription and the payment and Mm -hmm. and they're very quick they're very quick to tell therapists right who, who contract with them um, and I, I just know this from, from some experience, um, and, and sign a big contract with them that all the liability falls on the contracted therapist. That's oh, it. Of course. All wow. the this liability is of everything, all the yeah. liability, it, it, you know, so, so even though they assign a client to you, guess what? Um, your your ability to properly assess them and properly treat them and you know make sure that they are located in the state that you're licensed in all all that's on you not mm-hmm. not yep. them because they're i think that they present to the public that they are like this large mental health agency but they but then they present and i think the more reality to the contracted therapist is we are a technology company and we provide a platform always, always, for yeah. you yeah. to contract Fucking with always. for yep. you yep. to contract with and and you know although people play, pay us and then we'll pay you a portion of that which which I think is is ridiculous I think I think the pandemic really helped break this down cuz a lot of therapists said oh my gosh you know I can get on um you know, I can pay for a HIPAA compliant Zoom platform or, or like me, I have something called simple practice, which is tied up into my electronic health record, my practice management system. So it's, it is absolutely encrypted data privacy, but you can't record on it. You can't, mm-hmm. you yeah. can't do anything. So it, it, but, 
but the practice management system, they're not making money. I pay them a monthly subscription to use right. that so I can run my practice, right? BetterHelp doesn't work that way. They're saying, oh, no, you contract with us, but you use our platform and then we'll pay you out of it. So they basically, mm. you're not subscribing to the platform, but you're essentially doing that same model. But I think the general public believes that they are a mental health agency and they have a lot of money poured into it. you've seen they have some great ads yeah um, yeah oh god they're all over on youtube and now they're on ours but <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have two i have two questions about about it is our first one is for like the fresh young millennials slash zoomers i don't know where we're at right now who are graduating into or becoming therapists and psychologists uh how do you feel like better with better help like, is that like going to like ruin the industry where people are just going to flop to do that? Like, it, um, <laughs> like how is that going to affect the practice in general? Yeah. And I've had, I've had discussions and, and therapy uh, therapist forums uh, about this. And I think the general consensus on, you know, um, on therapists, even new therapists are, run away run away because that yeah. the second thing is is that they <laughs> that they that they pay they pay shit and i'm just gonna say that. they they oh, yeah. do not yeah. pay, they do not pay therapists well so and i know i know it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be affordable for some people but i will put it this way that i've had people who i i saw on better help and then who came and saw me in my private practice and I charge them less than better help charge them, but I'm making more money. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so, that's actually, yeah. that goes into my second question is, do you think better help would ever exist? Cause I, better help. That's an, it's an American company, correct? Like it, it's, would this ever exist if our healthcare system wasn't trash? Like what? No, it, no I, I, th I think they saw it. They saw an opportunity. They saw a market and they, and they, they jumped in there. It's like, you know, it, it's hard for people to get in network therapists yeah. and to, to manage this, this whole system. Um, and private mm -hmm. pay is, is difficult. So we're going to offer people a subscription service, which mm -hmm. I think yeah. that there's a problem with that because I would never tie yeah. anyone up to being subscribed with me or buying a bundle or, or anything. So there's, right. I have an ethic. I, I have an I have an ethical issue with the idea of subscribing to therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I could go off on a big tangent on that. Um, but I think it's, it's also, um, I, I do, I think that they came into, to a market and then it really exploded with the pandemic, but a lot of therapists are pushing back. because They're like, wait, we, we can do this ourselves. Maybe we don't have the marketing, but, but I do think that they market to the general public that one thing and then they market to the therapist a different things because you've probably yeah. seen the ad talk to your therapist yeah. anytime anytime so so mm -hmm. the yeah. idea is your I, therapist yeah you know I can, what I mean I can like text, it's gonna be one yeah I can text my therapist anytime um we can have video calls anytime <laughs> and but no. really but really what it comes down to is you know the therapist is like okay well you know we see them, you know, 30 minutes a week, you know, 30 minute telehealth session. And sure, you could, you could message your therapist as much as you want. That doesn't mean your therapist is going to message you back at 11 yeah. o'clock at night. And I think yeah. that, that people get upset because they're like, better help 
basically told me if I'm struggling at 11 o'clock at night, I can text my therapist and they'll text back. And I'm like, but they're, but these aren't bots. The therapists aren't bots. They're real people with real lives. Right. And boundaries yeah. are an important part of therapy too. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's yeah. important to help people be able to kind of manage too on, on their own. I mean, I'm right. certainly yeah. there if somebody's in crisis or, or like, severe crisis and i'm like an anxiety isn't a crisis it's like are you in crisis because i want you to have the confidence that you can manage this too right if i'm just there all the time then i'm also reinforcing something that's not ultimately healthy for you in the long run you're you're becoming just a safety blanket essentially yeah now imagine getting 35 texts in a 15 minute span from different people who are all like because you've now taken on like say 100 clients over the course of you know a year and, yeah. you know, you don't see them all the time and you have this avalanche of it's going to it's exhausting to you as a human, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that speaks to that lack of boundaries. I need to be able yeah. to shut my fucking computer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Gotta, right. Yeah. Gotta but, read but, a book. but but I think clients get uh, upset about this and rightfully so, because they were sold one thing with better help. But what they're getting mm-hmm. from therapists is is different. Um yeah. Because some of the things that BetterHelp sells them, it really isn't ethical um, for therapists to do. And so I think that there's a a mismatch with that. I also think that sometimes they don't screen people as well um, who Mm. might not be appropriate. I mean, there are some people who are not appropriate for that type of therapy. Like, you know, somebody who's in the hospital, like in the Mm. hospital right then and there, you know, with a suicide attempt. Um, and actively detoxing, you know, from opioids, um, you know, better help therapists is really not the best option for them, but yeah. they'll be happy to take the money and send it to the therapist. And now it's the therapist problem. They'll assign it to mm-hmm. the therapist. And now it's like, well, it's your problem. Now. It's, it's difficult, right? Yeah. Because we're all poor mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's difficult when you can't afford a therapist or like you get a, let's say you get assigned one by the government because you don't have health care because that's how it works here. You know, and it, 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 I could yeah. see the temptation to want to use better help because it's there, right? It's it's McDonald's of mental health because like there aren't we, you know, if you don't have money or insurance, there's really not a lot of options because mm-hmm. you know, our healthcare system's trash, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And no, oh, go ahead. Well, I think I think that there that there are the problem is is that people don't know that there are collectives, um, and I'm even a part of this. Many therapists are. There's something out called Open Path Collective, which is is low fee therapy, and we we contract with them and say, you know, I'm only going to you know charge between thirty to sixty dollars per session, one hour session, which is actually better than you get with BetterHelp, um, mm-hmm. and and I agree to that, and so so people, you know, will will sign up on Open Path Collective and and. You know, it's not really, they don't say, send me all the documentation to prove that you can't afford this. Cause I never really liked reduced rates or sliding fees based on somebody's income, because I don't think that says a whole lot about what people can and can't afford. Cause $50,000 mm-hmm. to one person, depending on what their expenses are, could be nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. so this allows an opportunity for you to just say, this is, this is what I can afford. This is what's feasible. And then, you know, we contract and say, you know, I'll take, you know, X amount of reduced rate. I've, I've seen clients pro bono. So, and and that's why I don't even take insurance because I don't, A, I don't want to deal with, um, when you're an in-network provider for insurance companies, (laughs) and this is no different, like better help, you're essentially working for them. And my thought was always like, well, why would I go to a private practice if now they're dictating what I do with clients, how often I can see them, what I'm paid, how I document. Yeah. 
why I'm, I'm working for them. And then you're stuck in yeah. a contract with them. That's almost impossible to get out of. So you're working so, for them, but they hold no accountability. Right. And they're also fucking idiots. I remember I had to get like for my back, I had to get a bunch of injections and there was a physical, I had to get these injections in my bag, like trigger point injections of some anti-inflammatory. There's a rehab facility in the same building with the same like group of medical people, you know, doctors, physical therapists, all of them were all part of the same kind of not pra- bigger than a practice, but not a hospital. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. a facility of some sort. And uh, I, they made me, they wanted me to get the shots in like Laporte, Indiana, but then drive 45 minutes with the shit back in a uh, very limited use of my right leg to South Bend <laughs> to get yeah. physical therapy. Wow. And I was like, eat my ass and hair. I don't think so. That's not, I'm not doing it. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. So you keep, you keep mentioning, well, you've said that this is also, that BetterHelp is also a technology company. Mm-hmm. And I think you've mentioned before that uh, their video service, their video chat service, it's also not really, uh, that's not um, exact, because you've said that it's unethical <laughs> and it, it's illegal to record sessions, correct? Uh, correct? For a therapist to record sessions. Right. But not yeah. if you're a video, if you are a no, no, uh, wait, company no, that... Wanna- uh, I want to back up. Has the videos it, okay? It, it's not. Ill, it's illegal to record without the written consent of a client, right, right, and okay. the only reason right, we would right, ever right. record would be for training. So I Makes do sense. want to clarify. Okay. Yeah. yeah but, yes. Right. 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 So yeah. yes. Yeah. So like, are they pri- like from personal experience? You know, like how, yeah. How does how does BetterHelp uh, <laughs> and I'm, handle and I'm going to put a big flashing red allegedly on everything that comes comes <laughs> on from henceforth. So <laughs> let yeah. the document so, show allegedly. <laughs> So, um, you know, I cannot say with a hundred percent certainty because nothing is certain. Um, there, I, I did have concerns, um, about Mm. how secure and safe the platform was in terms of protecting client data. I did have concerns Mm -hmm. with that. And I'm not the only one. I think you can, you can Google that and some stuff will come up, especially, you know, from a couple of years ago. So I, you know, that's not a paranoid thing. I don't, I don't think that they're safe with that and one of the one of the things um that really kind of got me was you know i would and i'm a therapist you know i would sign into to the app and i would you know do my sessions or i would communicate with somebody and 10 minutes later i'd be you know getting better help stuff you know on my social media pages so better help knew and they were selling for therapists and clients um anytime that that we were logging on and then sometimes i would get other ads for maybe things that we had talked about, which, which I knew were only Ooh, specific yeah. to things that were, yeah. that were discussed in a therapy Ooh, session. Yeah. Well, so gee. maybe, maybe if we huh. discuss, maybe if we discuss a type of medication, that's not really well known. And then all of a sudden that's, that's showing up, you know, in my social media Oof, feeds wow. and stuff that, that was concerning to me. I don't know if that's been fixed or not, but, but there were things like that, that really, concerned me about the privacy and that's one thing i take very very seriously is the privacy of my clients and and i i mean i hold that i mean that's therapy 101 right that you have to have trust that that this is all confidential um oh yeah for sure oh yeah and i think in the fine print with them they might say oh well you know we're not really saying exactly what's going on the session but we but they are they are selling Mm -hmm. a certain amount of data 
Um, and they mm-hmm. are selling and, and marking when people do sign in and out of apps. So all the 35 messages you may be sending your therapist at different times at night, they are tracking that and they are, and I'm certain, I'm, I'm not saying they are, allegedly, I'm suspecting that that's being tracked and that's being um, distributed and that's being sold in different ways. Just like, I mean, anybody's data, right? Yeah. That's 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 a gold mine that they, they mine yeah. that. Oh, I also yeah. had the secondary... And, some therapists are like right on board with me. They're, they say this is absolutely um, a, a, a thing. It's and atrocious. I think, yeah. And I think some therapists who who don't really pay attention to what's going on in the tech world think like, oh, mm. this is this couldn't happen. Um, but I also wonder uh, about other allegedly suspected ways that they're also using the data beyond just selling them. Because I, I do yeah. know that many different, uh, you know, companies and researchers have been toying for years now with mm. building, um, you know, uh, AI bots and, and, mm-hmm. and different types of apps um, that essentially could replace a therapist. It's like, you know, you, re- you, you just have this app, like better help, you know, oh, you oh, know, I'm having a tough mm-hmm. day. This is what's going on. And so instead of it being a real therapist, you know, it being an artificial, you know, intelligence therapist. Oh, I yeah. think they get that, the trigger words, strain, the response, yeah. strain right. your replacement. And, 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 train and, your replacement. And, I, yeah. and I do know because I've, I've, you know, read some, some of the research, even in, in the field that, that, that stuff is going on. And I, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not against that. And I'm not like afraid. Yeah, sure. My job may be obsolete someday, but um, but I think the problem here is when I think about these bigger companies and why the AI apps and the AI therapy bots haven't exactly kicked off is because they haven't had enough data to actually fully yep. build yeah. them. And if yep. you take and if you take if you take a company, you know, like BetterHelp or, or Teladoc and all their companies underneath that, um, where they have you know hundreds of thousands of subscribers and tens of thousands of therapists. Uh, communicating and and they and they pay by the word i will say that they pay by mm. the the word count Fuck, uh, yeah. whether whether oh my god whether wow. whether it's, it's like a, dickens right whether it's a whether it's texting, <laughs> right this is this is the other part here so whether it's chatting back and forth with the client or a, a phone call which by the way it's not through your phone it's through their phone app their platform like they've got a voip thing yeah. what if right. you have what if you have a patient that is autistic and does not verbally communicate very well you're fucked uh, the, well the cha- i think the chat option works really well for that and i, and I have had yeah. some people and, and i've done that in my private practice you know yeah chat mm-hmm. option mm-hmm. so i do think that that's good but but there are other options besides better help just for like, you to be able to communicate that way just like how horrible but I, but I, that is to like for mental health care to be paid by the word well like yeah, i'm yeah. saying it's it's mind scanners <laughs> you know it's yeah. you gotta crank out results it's it's that's that's, that's the other I, and i don't know what better way it would be you know to to pay therapists, but nowhere have I ever worked in 18 years where I've been paid by the amount of words. In fact, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes silence can be very, very therapeutic. I'm sorry. Sometimes going. you need, you need moments to, for introspection sometimes, or at least in my therapy sessions, I need moments to think about what I'm going to say next. So yeah. 
Right. And, and if, and if we're telling therapists that, you know, well, your pay is based on this. And, and I will say that there's also a cap to it and it's also an algorithm. It's not just like therapist talks a lot and gets paid with it. It has to be like a, you know, it has to be pretty equal in terms of what the, the client words and the therapist words, which, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Cause I actually try to speak less. I just like mostly yeah. ask questions and let people process. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk yeah, sure. as much, but, yeah. but, we're paying them by the word count and it doesn't matter if it's a chat, you know, a VoIP voice uh, call mm-hmm. or, or a video call, but they're counting words, which also tells me they're not it's just counting it, words. That's my suspicion. There's not just word counts going on, but I think that they're collecting billions so, of billions yeah. of data points because I honestly believe that in, in several years, several years of this with that many therapists and that many clients, you're going to have all the billions of data points you need to create a good therapy app that has artificial intelligence. And then you don't need therapists anymore. Then BetterHelp doesn't have to pay therapists. The, they're already, you know, crappy <laughs> contracted rate. Yeah, now yeah, we yeah. can just cut yeah. them, we can just cut them out of the, the equation and have people subscribe to us and and we have this kind of AI um, well, exchange going situation, on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and in that's experience, my suspicion. That's my in suspicion. our experience with the, the development of AI, everybody just seems to be doing it wrong because it's, <laughs> it's always, it's this capitalistic venture of, you know, let's just get this done as quickly as we can. You know, like you, like you said, coin ops, you know, uh, move fast, break things, make other people suffer the consequences. Yeah, basically. Well, you know? No, I, I, it wasn't exactly that. I, you know, I said, you know, they gotta, they gotta have that third step where they yeah. suffer the consequences. They yeah. have to suffer the consequences, yeah. not other people, because well, like that's, that's just that's how they're then at a fourth step. You know what I mean? Because like, there's always that that step where they do try to blame everybody else. I mean, fucking Zuckerberg is so good at just being like, I have nothing to say. I am not a lizard. I am a normal human boy. And then we all <laughs> just kind of forget that his. His website's the worst fucking thing on the planet. Yeah. It was causing <laughs> genocide in Myanmar. You know, yeah. like it's. Oh yep. uh, yeah. I'm still I'm still hung up on what you were telling me about. Like you would have sessions on it, and you would just start getting ads for stuff. Because now I'm just thinking about like some poor dude where he's like, he comes to you and he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, I want to use a blender on my grandma or something," and then suddenly he gets like ads for blenders. God. You know, like it's oh. like that where I'm like, how? What are the unseen ways this is damaging people? Yeah. Hey, no, I don't. I don't mind the 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 compound bow ads I've been getting lately and the machete ads. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I got some really really good rubber handled wire. Yeah, it's like the time I got um, like I, been showing I, up in my seat. Yeah, I still keep getting ads on Facebook for like ballistic plates for like in a chest rig. Mm-hmm. I still get those. Mm-hmm. From yeah, body yeah. armor. Well, yeah, I still get ads like, for body armor. <laughs> It's crazy what they say they're not doing this, but they're totally doing this because I've seen no examples like looking back that they weren't, you know, it always comes out at some point. There's this giant fucking hack and it's like, oh, here's all this information and data points on specifically who, what, when, how, and where. And then you just subscribe to it again. And then you got to deal with like some relatives weird political stance um on it forever yeah. because we're yeah. just never going to take this fucking thing yeah. down you well know? nobody it's like, like it's um, weird right because nobody talks about two other weird shit like i i, I was it we're getting ads for like weird white supremacist like products like um like mm-hmm. those like um oh god what was the that country that that thank god doesn't exist anymore in south africa like rhodesia, rhodesia. i started getting rhodesia. ads for the rhodesian shorts 
<laughs> because that's like a thing in white supremacy to wear like the you know you know those shorts they had to stop wearing because their lily white legs gave them away when they were hiding in the bush those shorts mm. <laughs> and i started getting mm. ads for them because i like the outdoors i like camping and they started advertising me this and i'm mm-hmm. like this is going to be weird for some people when they fall down that rabbit hole it's <laughs> like yeah. there's well, it just goes back damage. to my ongoing seething fucking hatred of marketing and advertising yeah uh-huh. um yeah. I don't, I don't think, I, I think that there is a place to explain what a product yes. is and how to acquire it. I think that there is not a place for me to just be jackhammered in the head with Katy Perry songs about some sort of soft drink. And it is, <laughs> I, is Pepsi, like, will Pepsi just not fucking exist tomorrow? Like, what, just give us a day off, you know, maybe only do an ad once a and week. Not everything has to be know? Pepsi. Like, everything doesn't have, no. shouldn't have to be like like this, especially this since app. i like, ain't, not everything is ain't been able to find that fucking mango pepsi anymore i'm getting pissed about that <laughs> <laughs> I, I i do want to say though i th- i think you know people have had good experiences with better health sure. and and you know it's helped mm-hmm. them and they wouldn't have had you know um mm-hmm. engaged in therapy otherwise then you know i think that that's fantastic i do think since the pandemic most therapists have the ability to engage people via telehealth um mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that gives people the opportunity to even look up um, individual therapists and, and to even consult with them. I never take anybody on my case. So I give everybody, you know, a free consultation session. And this is what I'm mm-hmm. about. And what are you about? And can I help you? And do you feel comfortable with me um, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, you're, you're stuck with me. So people have the yeah. opportunity in that way to search for individual therapists who can offer these same, you know, we can offer you know, live chat through um, a subscription app called Quinza and it's, it's HIPAA compliant and I can create activities and I can chat with people in real time about how did that exposure go that, that you're mm. doing. And, and, and that to me um, means that we, we can do everything that BetterHelp offers, you know, but we, we can't compete. If you, if you type into any lo- locale, if you type in where I am, where I'm at in Pennsylvania, you know, anxiety therapist, you know, in this area, I come up fourth, um, and I have pretty good SEOs and slugs, but I come up fourth because the top three are better help. Yeah, They're better, better help. Yeah. That's how we feel about seven. I, I, can't, I can't compete. I can't yeah. compete with that, but I'm not paying. I'm not paying Google or yeah. anyone, you know, to yeah. to yeah. advertise. Yeah. I remember. So, yeah. so they're going to come up above me. Yeah, they and pay more so, money to Google. Like I remember when you used to Google Cyberpunk and Neon Dystopia was the first thing that came up. Ever since Cyberpunk 2077 came around, you put in Cyberpunk, you get that fucking game. Uh, now, now, now. Let's let's not be bitter. No, I will it be. Just, it just it's it's going to fade. It's going to turn into a little curiosity and just like before. That's the thing, right? Like you can't afford. You can't. You can't compete with an ad campaign. Like no, you can't. You can't. It's going to be they're like throwing a, tens of millions. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's going to be like uh like that scene from from Pop Star. Remember the Lonely Island, the Pop Star movie, where she said she said we're we're going to have Connor for real be everywhere, like depression. That's kind of how I feel like the Better Help. It's like everywhere. <laughs> we're just going to inundate people. Fuck man. <laughs> and, oh and, god, and, or like Demolition Man, where every restaurant is Taco Bell. Oh god, I prefer that over this. Yeah. Jesus. Let's talk about smart fast food. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I've had, I've had some therapist friends who say, you know, oh, you know, are you being paranoid about this AI thing? I, I, I mean, I'm not being like paranoid about it, but I'm also like, um, I also know that this research is already going on. Yeah. yeah I'm not suspecting. Right. I know yeah. that there are companies who are researching this. They just haven't been able to, to come up with really any good product because there's not enough 
data points. And I think, you know, that, that it, it makes sense and it makes sense and mm-hmm. how they're, they're designed in doing this. And, and not that I'm worried about, okay, better help is going to put us out of business or is going to, you know, make um, real, real live meat space therapists obsolete. Mm-hmm. It's more about the quality of care that people are going to get. Yeah. That, yeah. That's really what it's about. Right. And yeah, I don't yeah. think that, I mean, I'm sure that an AI therapist would work for some people, but I don't think that's going to work for all people, particularly, no, you know, technophobic folks. My, my AI, I would never go to an AI therapist. No, that's like, I'm distrust, sorry, it's depressing. My distrust of AI began the first time I put Kiss's Greatest Hits in the back of a Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember the first Furbies that came out in 1998? Like they actually, who was it? Was it the FBI? Somebody put out like like they were actually worried about them listening to you, and like <laughs> I don't know if it was Russian spies. It was the big thing with Furbies. Yeah, and now everybody's got an elf on a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man, right. man. That's- yeah, that's just all it is—a little bit of conditioning, and then suddenly yeah. it's just yeah. we all have phones in our pockets. Just- like privacy. What the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm worried about a microchip in the fucking vaccine. Uh, as I text that to you on my GPS, like fucking yeah, <laughs> right, right. On this thing that you portal. that you literally can't leave your house without yeah. phone keys. Well, but yeah. anyways, and, and, and I so going back. Think- well, I think younger kids too are, are and here I'm using the word desensitized, really desensitized to the idea of, of privacy. It kind of really doesn't, yeah. you know, exist well, for them. Well, they haven't been fucked with yet. Like, I think that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like once they're yeah. suddenly but they're, but like, they're being, but they're have... being, but they're being, you know, groomed from the from the beginning. I have an 11 oh, yeah. and 14 oh, yeah. year old, and they seem oh, yeah. to not really care about this privacy and that. And I'm like, I'm like, but, but you don't, but you've never seen anything else. I am so glad social media and cell phones mm-hmm. and stuff weren't around when I was a teen and in my early 20s because I got that mm-hmm. out and there is no record of it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Absolutely. There might be two sleeves of weird black and white photographs from my rave days out there, but you'll never fucking find them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I got the, away with so the, much the shit. The only photos we had were the disposable cameras. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It's nice when they had oh no my data. God. They no were so easy. Yeah. Like, no. I mean, Nothing. No way to figure yeah, may- out where the picture was taken. Yeah, it's maybe a timestamp. Yeah. It's tough to yeah. pick up drugs yeah. nowadays. Yeah, just oh, saying. Man. Not going to elaborate more on that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. hey, do we do we have any other big things going? Because oh. I think we got to wrap this up simply because we need time for this to render. Yeah, that's that's, that's the true. issue. We're getting close. Well, and I had a, I had a couple more questions. Um, uh, so. Jennifer, do you uh, think about where the future of the VR technology that you use might go at all? Uh, yeah. Where where would you like to see it go? And um, do you think that there is a point at which people might cross the line um, in terms of like how reality blurring it is? Yeah, well, yeah, I think that there's three answers here. First of all, VR for me specifically, and, and I've been... Um, kind of toying with this idea really has to do with how expensive VR cameras, good ones are. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but I would like to get, you know, myself one of those, those drones that has like, I think the 21 cameras. So I can actually create mm -hmm. some of my yeah, yeah. own individualized, personalized videos. So not just using the platform that says, here's this, but, but I can actually individualize to each client. So if a client is, you know, scared about driving over, you know, the, the route 30 bridge specifically, then mm -hmm. I can create a video of that and do that in VR you know, with them. Um, so actually individualizing more and having it be less kind of video game and, and mm. the graphics are pretty good, but it's still not like real video. But it's not photorealistic. It's not the matrix. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and to have it be more, yeah, photorealistic. And so that's, that's where I would like to see it go. Um, I think for me personally, that's what I want to be doing with it. Um, I think, and in general, will other people, you know, get on board with that? Is there, you know, a point where this isn't helpful? I, I think there's, first of all, a discriminator in terms of, of ages and, and like any VR isn't um, mm -hmm. recommended for kids under 12. I think some systems even say 14. Some of that is yeah. is because of the sensory and, and uh, disorientation you have. But, yeah. but, but when I was getting trained in the size VR system, um, they had had talked about doing these studies with eight year olds where they mm. had um you know put half of them in a, in a vr underwater with dolphins and then half of them saw the the same video but it was on a, a tv screen and then interviewed mm. them uh, two years later and the ones who were in the vr actually had it implanted a memory that they were actually swimming with dolphins whereas the other ones some of them may have remembered seeing a show about dolphins or a movie about dolphins. Some of them didn't even remember it at all, but, but that yeah. showed them that the impact, especially with, with the developing brain and, and kids that age, that it's hard for them sometimes to distinguish between, yeah, um, that's, between that's reality spooky. and, and not. And so then we don't mm -hmm. want to be implanting any, any memories yeah, there. The how mutable memories are scares the shit out of me. Like, yeah, oh, right. I still I can. I, there was the on the, the like the PSVR demo disc. They had this like shark cage that they just dropped you down in and had things happen to. It's very passive. There's nothing you could control in it. And then the shark starts coming at you, and it was really fun to watch. Like my uncle and my dad shit their pants today. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> it it is well. That I think that's the thing. Jump scares in VR work. You know, that's one thing yeah. that definitely 100% works no matter what level of graphics we're at at this moment. But going forward, as it gets more and more realistic, man, like an autumn fall day with leaves falling all around you in a weird, like, matrixy pattern forever would be so fun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I could take that. Um, and, and, and I think and I think if it's done right, again, keeping in mind that it's not the therapy, it's a tool to therapy. Right. Um, right. That I think that I, I don't think that that boundary would be blurred if, you know, making sure that you have a good qualified therapist who also understands the technology. I never put anybody in it, you know, more than 15 or 20 minutes at a time, usually because it mm -hmm. makes you feel kind of nauseous anyway after that. Um, and then there's always kind of that reorienting to the sensory environment and kind of a debrief that goes yeah. on with that. So I think, I don't see if it's if it's administered right that there would be kind of that blurring of that boundary. So it's it's not the Mercer box from Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. It's not <laughs> something that pulls you into an environment and you think it's real, but it's actually something that somebody made on some uh, set somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, right? No, I, yeah, I don't see and, that. 
Yeah. No. But but I do see um and, you know and a lot of the platforms oh, I use again are either the relaxation or the uh or the exposure platforms, but um there are some some other research going on in terms of helping uh build empathy and other social mm. perspectives. Yeah. So you might be mm. you know, if, if you're an adult male, you know, um whatever, but oh, that you if you for instance have like but, Asperger's, you have a little bit of trouble understanding empathy. I well, think, but that's it, what I've heard. Yeah, and I think that there's a stereotype in that. There's something called the double empathy mm-hmm. problem with autism, and that mm-hmm. is actually um, people who are not autistic have just as much difficulty reading the verbal expressions and nonverbal expressions oh, yeah. of autistic people. Mm-hmm. That the, yeah. the, so the problem is 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 actually a difference of, of communication and social processing than it is a lack of, mm-hmm. of empathy. Yeah. And um, okay. So, so it's not just, you know, with, with, with Asperger's, but anybody, and I could get on my empathy train. A lot of people will say, oh, we have empathy in general. We have selective empathy. I have empathy mm-hmm. for people who are like me and then, yes. right. So, so that whole empathy thing, um, uh, that's a whole different <laughs> podcast, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah, I yeah. think, but well, I think we, what, what, where yeah. they're able to do that is if you can be, you know, an eight year old girl and, and I'm saying this cause I've worked with, um, offenders i i cut my teeth at the at leavenworth disciplinary barracks oh, prison. Okay. that yeah. was the my, that was my first uh, internship and i worked with um i worked with murderers assaultive offenders i had one Damn. who called me nurse ratchet that was fun um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and also uh later on having worked you know with paroled level three um sex offenders and so i i think there's some some research going on in helping them develop empathy. And we're talking offenders here. Offenders are people yeah. who have high psychopathy traits, not just psychopaths, but high psychopathy traits that might have really difficulty in, in seeing the view of somebody else. Because that's what all rehabilitative yeah. therapy is about is is developing victim empathy. And if yeah. you can do that through VR, like now you're the vic- now you're an eight-year-old girl looking up at the scary world. That's wow, also yeah. an opportunity. I think in the future, yeah. I haven't that seen that much, yeah. but I yeah. can see that being something that could be really helpful in, in um, really rehabilitating Never thought of that um, to like, offenders. Yeah, to like put a murderer and reverse the role. Like yeah. that's yeah. like a sex offender. Like that's incredible. I never even thought of that. Yeah, that's... Like, and and not and not saying like, well, we're going to put them in the situation where they're sure, abused, but, but, but just yeah. having them be in the body of an eight year old girl and what's it like just walking around and everything's so big and scary yeah, and right, right? Um, because yeah. they they have problems with that. So I do see, and, and I'm hoping that's also where it can go in the future. Outside of mental health, there's a lot of, of VR going on in the medical field in general with physical therapy, mm-hmm. occupational yeah. therapy, and even just general health care. And I think by 2027, it's estimated to be like a $2 billion market. Just, so I, I oh, do yeah. think that there's a future for it. And I think that oh, definitely. It, it can be used <laughs> carefully. And like I said, though, but it's not the therapy itself. Yeah. Otherwise, we could have everybody just download an app and and put themselves in an airplane, but sure. it's, yeah. right. there's a process yeah. to it. Well, it, it it's funny because mm-hmm. the first thing that popped in my head was, oh yeah, good. So we could strap every future president into one of these things and be like, okay, this is what it's like to be in an airstrike. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <You know? laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We could actually put is- him, we could actually put them into the, uh, into uh, the uh, JFK's you know, death mobile. <laughs> 
Holy shit. <laughs> well, you can have or yeah, the guy can... on the grassy knoll. <laughs> what animal uh, is this? This is weird. Yeah, oh where, you, where you can actually build the empathy. And I think, and I yeah. didn't mention this earlier, but that was one of the, um, one of the complaints I've had about the current platform I'm on with Sias, and I've been very open and even very public about it, um, that they've done some great things. But but one of the things uh, that that's frustrating is in some of the environments, they haven't given the opportunity to change your avatar uh, skin mm. color. So there's like the driving oh, one. Yeah. I have, I, you know, I have, I have, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> a black person, a black client who fear of driving and and as I was preparing for the session realized you know I looked down and and the arms are white on the steering wheel I'm like well I can change all this other stuff yeah. but I can't change the color of the arms and that's not really immersive mm-hmm. and yeah. we're dealing with a whole different set of of um of oppressive type issues mm-hmm. and yeah. and issues of this is the default and I'm not yeah. and and so I have mm-hmm. been talking frequently uh with Sias and and the engineer team like you know, I don't. I don't know if you guys really thought about this, <laughs> and I don't know how yeah, diverse on, the engineer team is. Yeah, really. But, but if you it's want me to renew my, if you want yes. me to renew my subscription, you need to be able to give the opportunity to change skin colors yeah. so that it it really is truly immersive, and the the message isn't always the default skin colors is white. Yeah, oh, right, you guys, yeah. you just have to. Add I mean, 100%. statistically yeah. speaking, like aren't white people? a mininority on this planet really most people are brown Y'all gonna look like so. me well that's the thing it's like all you well, got to do I is mean, just I add know. like two more skin colors guys like just brown and black so yeah. you got white brown and black brown covers a lot of different ethnicities and then you're good well i mean it, it's not a video game but damn it that's like it's, literally yeah. in it's like one of the first things you encounter in any yeah. one of them is the ability yeah. to kind of like dress yourself up and you know like resemble yourself or wildly yeah. not if you want you know like you could go crazy with the pink yeah. Yeah. like it's still, my God, it, like that. Come on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you should have done I, this. And I know, and I know that they, I know that they have the capability to do it because as soon as as the pandemic hit, it took them less than six weeks to launch and and redo the platform so that we could do VR with people telehealth. And I don't think we even talked about that. But in terms of, oh, of how do we do that remotely? And I've been able to to connect people um, either through an app through Android or iOS app on their phone, where then they can change it to a VR mode and put it in one of those cardboard things or, or a, a plastic set where you put your phone in mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. through Oculus. We can do that through Oculus. And so I can still manage the VR system from afar and we're doing telehealth and they're in the VR. So, so, but they were able to launch that, you know, uh, in, in, really several weeks and they were able to change many of the avatars surrounding you in these environments. Um, I, I could click a little button and say, everyone puts a mask on. So we're immersed into, you know, we're in a pandemic and so let's make it realistic. Everyone's wearing masks, yeah, but right, we yeah, still right. haven't, but we still haven't changed the skin color, which <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, just, that's just like a vocal. slider value. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. right. And so I've been very, very vocal, uh, you know, about that. Get on it. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, all right. So I, one more yeah. question. Uh, is do you think it would be possible to say raise your IQ points with a certain VR program, or or unlock some latent cyber uh, cyborg abilities? <laughs> Jennifer, can I learn kung fu? Can I become psychic? Yeah. Are you trying to be Neo? Can yes. you be? No, I just want to know kung fu. Someone, I don't want to do the rest of it. If someone. <laughs> 
keeps you from logging out of your account in VR, are they holding you ransom, essentially? If you die, like, if are you, you unable to just... If you die in VR, do you die in real life? <laughs> These are really good existential questions. I've I've not really toyed with that. Um, I, you know what? I don't think no. so. Facebook went mm. down unless, you know, I'm just going to be callous about all the people lost in the Oculus. <laughs> <laughs> If you die in VR, no, because I think you usually you can respawn, right? You can respawn. Oh, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah. Hmm. This is in front, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, man. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and who knows, uh, right? Because we could be living in a simulation, and if you die in real life here, you could just be respawning somewhere else anyway, because we don't know. Unless you have three lives, that's very true. Unless you only have three lives, that then you have to get the green mushroom. Um, don't give me that out. <laughs> <laughs> So wait, I've taken mushrooms uh, once already. Does that mean I've already got a an, an extra yeah. life? Yeah, that's what that means. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> yo, dude, have you ever tried DMT? Uh, no, uh, don't do that. Okay. No, that, that minuses what you're Don't do that. That gets you. That person- like you said, we've come. We've come full circle now because it's it's however you think about what's going on externally, internally is your reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that Existence is. is- Reality yeah, I think that is a reality is existence based. Yeah, it's a good way to close it. I think that's all I got. Yeah, that's yeah. a good place to to leave off. I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, this thank was you. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. We have been looking forward to recording this for two weeks, yep. and yeah. Uh, yeah, this was great. This was so much fun. Yeah, thank you lot. for having me, and I've learned uh, so much from you, and your your fun. I love my new cyberpunk name too. I might, yeah. I might oh, sign yeah. my, I might sign everything with that now. Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah, we made it for you. It's yours. You're, yeah. you're please, please come back anytime. Like this, this is this was a uh, a delight. Yes, I think it a, was a big treat yes. for us. Absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah. me as well. Do you have anything? Do you have anything to plug before we do our stuff? Any any anything um, you want to rep? Nope just just know that. Being yourself and not being uh, caught up in the toxic positivity of things. That's it. That's my plug. Hell yeah. I like it. <laughs> Hell yeah. I like it. Well, thank you. That's good. I'll, I will I'll co-sign that. Yep. We got a few. Uh, but we, we, got, we got websites and shit. Yeah, we do. Um, what are we doing? Uh, we got to go to neondystopia.com. You know, this whole yeah. thing is done in affiliation with that. You should be reading them stories. We've yeah. got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash neondystopia where, I don't know. Don't give us your last dollar, but if you want to kick us a buck because you like what we do, please. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yes, thank you to all the yeah, new uh, ones. We've uh, yeah, one or thank, two new thank ones. You thank you to all our Patreon, our, our patrons. Oh so God, far. yeah, thank you yes, so much. You yes. you are helping us keep this whole whole shebang. Oh yeah, it. yeah. Your your dollar goes a long way. So thank lovely. you. Yeah. And then uh, let's see what Twitter. Yeah, at low life. Yes. But spelled with the L zero W L one F three T H E. And uh, we have a Neon Dystopia Twitter at Neon Dystopia, yes. and we have Facebook groups that we don't care about. <laughs> we, have, yeah. um, we really don't. We fucking oh, abandon them. Not at this point. I still like, update uh, the Neon Dystopia page, so you get updates of stuff that we do. Yeah. Uh, we got a yeah. We we got a Discord, we do. Uh, and we finally yeah. figured. That out. So uh, check that out in the link below. I fucked up uh, last week. Yeah. Uh, there was supposed to be a meeting on Sunday, uh, last Sunday. So we're going to do it this I Sunday. I forgot about that too. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the 24th uh, at 2 o'clock p.m. So 
if y'all want to show up and i mean it's no open invite to our all our listeners so uh, if you want to show up and chime in on what kind of games you'd like to play we'll be yeah there. we got a few um, in mind uh what else Oh yeah, and next week, next week we are going to be reviewing Possessor. Uh, so if you all want to, yeah, so uh, yeah, if you want to tune in and uh, like, uh, I guess listen along. Yeah, with check us, the movie then, out. For, check yeah. the movie out first. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah, it yeah, should so be so. on uh, Hulu right now. The uncut, uh, un, unrated cool. version. Yeah, we're doing we're doing the uncut one because oh, I, I gotta find it. I gotta see if I have the uncut one. <laughs> and uh, also, yeah, no, it's uh, directed by Son of Cronenberg. So yeah. if uh, you're unfamiliar with uh, David Cronenberg's work, you need to go back and watch Videodrome yeah. because it pairs really nicely with this one, the more I think about yep. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywho, yeah, so that's all we got. Thanks for tuning in. And, yeah, thank uh, you. Brains. Be well. Double.